Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. This is the Sexy Unique Podcast, an exploration of Vanderpump Rules. Ain't nobody got me feeling like I'm feeling you And I'm your host, like Lara Marie like Shane Hall yeah. Everybody freeze, put your hands up We ain't about to take it easy, hope you cakes up London with the beat, here we go so in Come a girl with a friend, you be both win Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sexy Unique Podcast It's me, Lara, you know my whole deal But today I'm with intuitive empath and psychic a really mystical hybrid jamie stein hi hi lara how are you i'm well how are you i'm good despite i woke up in like a good mood today for the first time in a long time so i'm just trying to ride that high until it inevitably crashes sometime in the near future (laughs) yeah i'm feeling that too it feels like there's kind of a bit of a renewed energy in the air today yeah, what's up with that? You know, I, I I definitely believe in astrological forces. I don't know a lot about that, but I think uh, there are kind of movements that sort of move through the collective. Um, but, you know, I also think, honestly, we're probably just also getting more adjusted to the situation um, mm-hmm. because it's been a minute now. And I just feel like I just feel like so many people were in such a rush to be okay with what was happening. At least that's kind of what I'm seeing on my social media stuff of just like, oh, this is the time to like create content and to be doing things. And I was just kind of sitting there like, are you fucking kidding me? It's like, this is so huge. And I think it's just, at least for me, it's taken a minute to really kind of adjust to everything that's going on. But I do feel like it's settling in a little bit more for me right now. Yeah, I think that I was in denial at first and just like kind of trying to lean into like, oh my God, now I have like time to work on stuff and like, it's fine. And I'll just like do at home workouts and like cook pasta. And then I was really sad because I was like, oh, I don't want to do any of those things. I'm actually like depressed and this is heavy. And then now maybe with like the full moon, it's like pumped us up full of full moon juice or something. And then. Yeah. I mean, to me, it feels healthy to be a bit depressed in a way, you know, I've just felt such a strong impulse to go inward. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't usually get too like swayed by what I'm seeing out there, but I will say I was starting to feel a little bit of that like guilt of am I not taking advantage of this enough? Am I not, you know, it, it almost felt like spiritually hip to like be 100% excited and okay with everything that was happening and um, just not feeling necessarily <laughs> on that groove, you know? Um, yeah. And especially with social media is like, I mean, it's very poisonous to begin with. But then when you have nothing else to do, but look at your phone for even more hours in the day, it's like, there are people like, not only are there people out there that are like prettier, funnier, smarter, richer than you, but they're also like quarantining better than you. And it's like a real lose lose situation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, my whole thing, too, is just like this is such a hugely big deal on so many different levels. I mean, it's like we're going through this huge collective process as a global community. People are literally dying. Um, But then, of course, it's a process for us all as individuals, too. So it's like we're all like taking this in and then we're taking it in. I mean, for me, anyway, on this spiritual level. And I do feel like there is something happening right now in terms of like consciousness and 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 the window that's expanding here for all of us but then there is also just this fundamental human level of like people are getting sick and people are dying and there are people who are dying right now who wouldn't have been dying were it not for this virus and so i just feel like it's so much for us all to be processing and taking in and so like i said it to me it just sort of makes sense that we would all need some time and some space just to kind of like recalibrate and acclimate to everything that's going on. Yeah. It almost feels like, I feel like the quarantine and social distancing will last a lot longer probably than we all think it will. But there's also a part of me that's like scared for when it's lifted. Like I'm going to miss almost being inside or being like cocooned when it's like you're set free to like go about your business. Well, it's interesting you say that because, yeah, yesterday I did start plugging into like honest impulses that I was having of like, oh, I want to do things that feel fun. You know, Mm -hmm. like what do I actually want to be doing right now? And I do think there I mean, I'm contradicting myself a little bit because I've been such an advocate of like no pressure to do anything, no pressure to do anything. And I believe that's true. And I feel like we should all give ourselves that space. And, you know, I'm now starting to feel this potential opportunity that's here to really plug into, like, what do I want for myself in the space? What do I want for myself in my life? Like, if I have kind of this room and this freedom to really be doing whatever I want outside of work, you know, what's going to be fun for me? And I think that there is kind of a intriguing invitation there. Yeah. Well, we can now talk about something that's decidedly not fun, which is <laughs> Vanderpump Rules. And that took a real last night. It felt like a real downturn back into like the shitty show that we've been forced into watching for like the past this season and last season. I, I couldn't agree with you. It's funny. I, you know, I've been catching up on your podcast and <laughs> loving it, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, uh, truly, it's been such a like, uh, like beacon of light for me in both the quarantine. And then also I was taking care of my sick dog the month before this. And I just just been listening to episodes of your podcast. Um, But um, 
Yeah, I've heard you talk about how much you didn't like last season. And when I heard you talking about it, I was like, well, I was like, yeah, I guess it wasn't that good. But this episode, this is the first time I've ever taken notes on Mm -hmm. an episode. And the process of taking notes on this episode made me understand just how infuriating and dark and depressing and meaningless the show currently is. And I found myself getting so (laughs) triggered because I was like, there's so many layers here to dismantle. And yet the layers, even though there are tons of layers to dismantle, it's like layers of manufactured drama, of like non-story, of people who aren't revealing themselves fully to the camera. And I'm like, why am I even watching this? Like, what's the return of investment on investment in this dark, dark pit the show has fallen into. Yeah, there is no return. Like the only people that are now experiencing a return on their investment are the actual people on the show. Which and, is like that's yeah. not how that's not the calibration of reality television. That's like not the correct calibration. Like at the best level of like peak I mean Peak reality TV, I think, should be kind of like Real Housewives of New York in a way where it's like we as the viewer are really having a lot of fun watching people be messy and like um, dramatic, but also revealing themselves. But then those women are also getting something out of it, which is like fame and a paycheck and like the ability to do all their side projects if they want to. Yeah, exactly. I just feel like there's so little at this point that feels raw or real. Like there's so little that feels kind of excessively human. And um, I also think, too, like to your point about their return on investment, part of what's making the show so dark for me right now is I feel like we're actually seeing a lot of the old time cast members coming to realize like the dead end they sort of have worked themselves into (laughs) and kind of settling into what life might be like beyond the show and Mm -hmm. i think several of them are really kind of freaking out and and i mean we'll get into it as the episode goes on but it's just it's it's like that isn't fun unless it's going to be about that do you know what i mean like unless they're actually acknowledge it and say hey i'm miserable about this but instead, there's just all this kind of like deflection and denial and um, yeah, just deflection and denial. And so it kind of feels like there's much ado about nothing. Totally. And conversations that don't go anywhere, like that just yeah. scratch the surface of something. And then it's like we've moved on, but there's really no like we never got anywhere. It's so bizarre. <laughs> And then the people who do have real stuff going on, somehow they're sidelined in favor of the fake drama. And because we have to sort of strangely sort of keep things centrally located in the Sir universe, we can't really go off and truly be like, for example, I'm all about Shana's IVF journey. At this point, like I want to be with her on her IVF journey. I want to like go with her to the doctor's visits. I want to meet her mother. Like, I'm down to like explore that with her, but I just feel like the show's not going to go there because we've because Vanderpump rules and we've got to stay in the domain of Lisa Vanderpump, which, you know, surprise, surprise is once again, like choking the show because there's just nowhere for any of these people to go. That's such a good point. Yeah, I was like, because that felt and we'll get We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get to Sheena. (laughs) Okay, so but it starts at the beginning where these 
people, a group of men who have not crossed the 405 and gone west in probably 10 years, have decided to venture to the Venice skate park where they could not be like wanted any less than they are. Like they are truly like the epitome of what those skater boys like they don't want them there. And not only that, it seemed like they went at a peak time. This wasn't like Wednesday at 3 p.m. This felt like Saturday high noon when everyone's out there like peacocking and doing their thing. Yeah. And like that, like I used to work on the west side for a while, like really close to Venice. So I would walk over to that skate park sometimes. And it was such it's like a great destination for just like people watching and then like watching all these skaters. And but the vibe of it. I can't stress enough that the vibe is so not Vanderpump rules and like these guys stick out like sore thumbs. Like Jax is inexplicably dressed in full hockey regalia. Like I don't understand what that is. There's not a place to like play hockey over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also didn't know. I mean, Venice is changing. So part of me was like, oh, is this the new vibe of Venice? You know, I didn't know. Uh, that been- specific area, I think, is still just like a very like skateboard, like true skater head vibe, like just that little tiny zone as far as I know. But like, I don't think I've never seen someone like dressed in like hockey gloves and <laughs> roller rollerblades with like a hockey stick. Just like <laughs> rollerblading around. That was crazy to me. Yeah. And it definitely like, I think part of the reason why it was so strange and awkward too, is it truly felt like a location that they simply chose for the sake of having a scene of the show. Like there was nothing about it that felt organic. Like, Hey guys, we're reconnecting to our skating roots or I've got this skating project. It was just like, okay, we need to have the scene. <laughs> Where are we going to do it? Okay, let's go to the Venice Skating Park. Yeah, it was very produced. And then I was like, ready. Because I went into this episode, because I think last episode was good. And so I was excited to see like the fallout of the Schwartz-Katie fight. Like I thought for sure we're going to get to like, see whatever happened after he left that party. And like, have Katie talking about it with her friends and like, get some full closure or wrap up of the situation. And then I'm like, wait, did the producers just like stop filming after Schwartz left and they packed up and went home? I don't understand like why we didn't get any like fallout from that or discussion amongst like the women of the show being like, why are you with this guy? I mean, the only explanation for why we didn't get that is because these women are refusing to have any of those kinds of discussions on camera. But also, don't you feel like they've never been willing to have those conversations about Schwartz? I mean, because to me, it was like, this was the short. I forgot. So first six seasons of this show, I hated Schwartz. Like, if you were to ask me who my least favorite cast member was, I probably would have said Schwartz. I thought he was so manipulative, so passive aggressive. I thought he gaslit Katie all the time. But he's kind of been on better behavior the last few seasons. So I sort of forgot about the side of him. And I've noticed that, like, I've softened towards him over the... I'm like, oh, he's just struggling. Like, whatever, whatever. This episode, oh, my God. It brought it all back. Just how just passive aggressive he truly is. And so, anyways, the reason why I'm just saying all this is, like, these are patterns of behavior I've been seeing since, like, day day one. Yeah, and no one has been saying anything and everyone has been signing on to the narrative of like, oh, Schwartz is just such a like cute 
cuddly puppy who's scared of Katie's rage. Like that's the narrative and everyone's been behind it. Everyone's been behind Tequila Tequila Katie. So is it that they're scared to have these conversations or are they just been blind to what's been in front of them this entire time? Yeah, I don't know what the, I mean, the only thing I can remember is like a touchstone of someone vocalizing their like discomfort with their relationship is Jack's being like, I hate Katie and I'm ready to see Schwartz rail a girl in front of her. Like he's the one that really crusaded against Katie. And I guess maybe formed that narrative that I definitely bought into like, Oh my God, tequila Katie is a monster. And she like bosses her floppy haired boyfriend around and like (laughs) poor Schwartz. But then now it's like, it's extremely crystal clear what the problem is. And you would think that someone like Stassi, who seems like pretty smart, like would be able to pick up on that and like be someone that Katie could turn to about that. And I'm just, I'm just from a curiosity standpoint, like I wonder if they've ever had that kind of conversation of like Schwartz is such a piece of shit to you. And like, what are you going to do about this situation? Or like, if they, because their friendship, like they make it seem like they're such best friends. Like you would have to at least have one conversation about that in the 10 year scope of your friendship with someone. I mean, I don't know, but I feel like the basis of their friendships, it's so much about codependency and mutual. Cause here's the thing. It's like if Stasi starts letting herself see the truth of Schwartz. It's like if that veil falls from her eyes, then what other veils have to fall from her eyes? Like what does she suddenly have to see about herself or her own life or her own relationships? I just feel like part of the dynamic of this show is this sort of feeding frenzy that they have as a group where they sign on to these different storylines. Like whether the storyline is, oh, Brittany's too good for Jax or James is the devil. And they all just kind of run with it. And my feeling of it is that it's always kind of like they're always just tracing the next kind of like thrilling story. And it just kind of keeps them locked in a loop where they don't ever really as a group have to acknowledge necessarily even what's happening, certainly for themselves as individuals, but also for themselves as a group in terms of like where are their lives going? (laughs) You know what? You know, what is the dead end that they're going to bump up against? It just feels like there's been this blanket of, um, yes, we're kind of calling each other out. Yes, we support each other. But it's almost like there's only so far any one of them can ever move towards consciousness or true, like true emotional truth, because then the whole house of cards collapses. Does that make sense? No, man, that makes perfect sense. And I feel like now in lieu of actually trying to speak to any sort of drama or like focus their hatred on like one person in the group. I mean, I guess they're kind of doing it with Kristen. Like they're the girls Mm -hmm. are kind of trying to cut her out, but it seems like the group think perspective is like, who's going to get married next. And it's all just focused on like, we like, I never signed up for a show where like, the couples on the show get married one by one and we have to sit through like, will they or won't they get engaged? And like, who's mad about it? And how's it going to happen? And then they're going to prep for the wedding and then they're going to get married. And now it seems like we're gearing up to do that with Stassi and Bo. And then now also Lala and Randall because they're rescheduling their wedding for the summer, which was like right when filming happens. So it's just like, I don't want these like fake weddings and yeah. 
And I feel like, I mean, I think the only silver lining to all of this is I do think post-marriage is where a lot of the shit's going to start hitting the fan. And I think we're seeing that a bit now with Tom. Like, because I was so gratified with what happened with Tom last week because I was like, finally, here he is. Like, he has been hiding this under his, like, passive-aggressive machinations. The real Tom is coming out. And I do, you know, he was talking tonight about, like, you know, why was I so triggered? Why was I so triggered? And I do have this feeling. It's like, because you're settling into this life, the thrill of the the new chapter is fading. And I think we're going to see, I think Jax is going to get a lot shittier before the season is over. Like now that he's no longer in the, like, you know, the thrill of his marriage and the thrill of, you know, committing to Britney. I think we're going to start seeing the cracks come to the surface more once the marital, the new marital dust Settles. settles and that could be you know it could be intriguing although possibly still way too dark for comfort yeah because like the guys all talk to schwartz kind of and they're like what was up with that like what happened last night and then he's all he has to say is he's like i was tired and drunk and disgusted and such a great moment turned sour. And then everyone was like, yeah. And then the scene was over. And I was just like, wait, that's all we're going to say here? Like, that's it? Oh, and Nala, can we please discuss Bo saying, I forget what the exact quote was, but it was basically like, look, you can do what you want behind closed doors. Just don't do it in front of me. And I'm just like, so basically, Bo, what you're saying is like, you can be as abusive to Katie as you want. Like, be as cruel to Katie as you want. Just, just don't do it in front of me. I was like, this is like the stand that you're taking with Schwartz right now. I thought that was pretty revealing about that. was uh, very revealing. And also like, because I feel like something ain't right about Saucy and Bo's relationship. And I think it's very like performative and it's worked. They've found that it works really well. Like their relationship plays well on camera. It plays well on social media. They're both making money off of being together. Like he joins her to go on all her tours and stuff. And like, Bo's really upgraded his life because of this relationship. Like, he's done a 180 in life, thanks to this woman. But I just feel like that probably, like, the don't do it in front of me, do it behind closed doors, is a reflection of, like, his own relationship with Stassi. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, I know I kind of, I DM'd you about this, but I just feel like uh, Bo, to me, is a less extreme version of Jason Hoppy. Like, I just Mm -hmm. see it. Uh, I think that there's just with him, I just feel this um, definitely this nice guy mask. I feel like there's this part he's playing like, oh, I'm just I'm, I'm you know, I'm the good guy. I'm the good guy who came in and is great for Stasi. And I feel like underneath that, I definitely feel um, like a lot of sort of underground superiority, a lot of underground arrogance, a lot of underground entitlement. And so I feel like with someone like that, who's sort of playing this part of the nice guy who also is kind of emasculated, right? Because he's sort of second fiddle to Stasi. Yeah. Um, that kind of underground entitlement, it can get really toxic, you know? And so I have totally. a feeling his anger is going to kind of start burning a lot more brightly, like the deeper they get into their relationship. Yeah, I get a lot of like a sense that there's just a simmering resentment underneath the nice guy exterior that's like, resentful that he couldn't get all this stuff on his own that he had to go through someone with like more fame more connections in order to like 
get on TV, get a house. And then now that he has all these things, he doesn't get to call the shots even in his own life. Like they had some drama that I haven't super looked into, but a lot of readers have been like DMing me and being like, you have to listen to their podcast. Like they got in a fight over this crazy TV and like, it's things like that where like Bo is going to realize he has no control and no say in this situation because Stassi's the breadwinner in the relationship. She's the one that bought the house. It's her show. Like, and he's not at the bottom in his core. That's not what he signed up for. Like he wants his own fame and his own show, but he just had to do it via her. No, exactly. And I think, you know, you know, for him, I, I just imagine and sense this is the metaphor for his life. It's like, I kind of get the sense from him. He's kind of maybe like some sort of mama's boy who kind of has had, to, who's felt like sort of grew up and became a man feeling like I got to be a good little boy. I got to kind of hide my more intense energy. I got to hide my stronger energy, maybe my more masculine energy. And so because he's been holding back his energy, he's never thrived in his life in the way that he really wants to, like you're saying, like hasn't like succeeded as an actor, hasn't created his own fortune. So now it's like, okay, well, let me hook my caboose onto Stasi's train. But the problem is he's still recreating this dynamic of I'm the good little boy, I'm the good little boy. And so that's just going to create more resentment you know, of the, of mm-hmm. everything that he's holding back and everything that he can't create for himself. So he's sort of stuck behind his own mask of being this good little boy. And uh, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. That parental pattern is so true. Um, why is Axe throwing a thing that people do now? Like, I don't understand this trend. <laughs> people were doing it on a date on The Bachelor and I need it to stop. What also happened on your, did you watch Jersey Housewives? I think they went axe throwing on Jersey. Oh, I'm not up to date on Jersey. Like I'm watching the older episodes, but I haven't watched the new stuff. But like axe throwing is trending and I just like, I don't get it. It's the new escape room, Mm -hmm. at least in Housewives or pan or the, or then also the new, like, what are those like rage rooms too? Yeah. A rage room makes more sense to me than like throwing an axe, like a throwing the axe throwing doesn't seem like a sustainable business model. It's like you go once for the fun and then you're like, wow, I threw an axe at a wall and like it didn't stick a bunch of times and then it stuck randomly and I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> so are they just banking I mean, on like everyone's going to go at least once just to see? I think so. I think they're just shepherding in a constant flow of new clientele who want to be empowered. <sighs> Throwing an axe. Axe throwing stop 2020. I'm taking a stand. If coronavirus <laughs> does one thing, it'll eliminate axe throwing. As an I will say, I did appreciate, I really appreciated Bryce, the axe handler. Who yeah, I just, he was great. Yeah, he was very cute. And I love that he had like this, like this baby face and then this shockingly low voice. And that he, I wrote down what he said. He wrote um, axe puns. I'm down with them. And I just thought that was very, very nice. Like I thought he was really supportive. Yeah. He's a star employee. Like he's really, he's getting an A plus on the job. I definitely had a feeling of like, I might go check out that place just to see if I could like meet Bryce and chat with him a little bit. Yeah, do it by all means. I'm here for (laughs) you and Bryce connecting. Um, I'm also here for Raquel getting a bullseye. (laughs) Well, this confirmed for me kind of I, I've had a suspicion about Raquel that's felt like it's I've had a little suspicion about Raquel that I can share with you that mm-hmm. uh, felt related to this. Like my feeling about Raquel whenever I've dropped into her is like 
Because, you know, she presents so willowy and delicate and can barely string a sentence together. But whenever I kind of just let myself drop into her, I actually feel that she's someone who in her essence is deeply embodied, really strong and has like a really powerful voice. But she's so like the way she but I think she's so disconnected from it. So somewhere along the way, she just learned she could not have that strength. She couldn't have that power. But the disconnect is so extreme that I've really thought to myself sometimes, like, could that really be true? Could she just be so diametrically disconnected from who she actually is? But then when she threw that axe, and got the bullseye, I was like, oh, there it is. There's mm-hmm. that like power I feel like I've been sensing from her deep, deep down. Yeah, that was a true power moment. And it really, it did, it like made perfect sense to me. Like I wasn't even that surprised. I was just like, yes. Well, it also makes sense too, like because, you know, she is a former pageant girl, you know, and that does require a resilience and a strength, even if you're disowning it. You know, you got to kind of have at least like a semblance of a tough skin and a competitive nature to like do well in that circuit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. Brett asks Dana out and I just like I've had enough of him. I can't even I can't even muster up any even sense of like ironic enjoyment in his presence on screen. He makes me literally uncomfortable in my body. I think he's so uncomfortable in his own body. And it's just, I feel like he's this guy who's trying to play this part of what he thinks like a normal dude is. And it's so ill-fitting and so not who he actually is that it's like, I literally get uncomfortable watching him. Yeah, it makes me squirm in a really bad way. Like I feel very icky and like slimy whenever he's on. And I'm like, how can anyone like interact with him? Like if I was in a room with him, I like wouldn't even be able to look at him because I like couldn't like even through a TV screen, I don't feel safe. And like it's a person that I would truly just be like, get them away from me. And I think with him, it's just such a um, it's such a like a unwinning combination of both someone who's totally uncomfortable inside his own skin and doesn't know who he is combined with what feels like this complete entitlement like a guy who just it feels like he's never had to really struggle or work for anything in his life and has sort of been told his whole life that like you know every single word that falls out of his mouth is like charming and amazing so it's like he's totally uninteresting and uncomfortable in his body but seems to think that he's the most interesting most worthwhile guy in the room and it's kind of just a totally um unpleasant cocktail yeah i agree and like he is the epitome of like a hot guy that never had to develop a personality so he's just like an avatar exactly he's like a shell of a human being but and then his personality his personality is just all about like, these are the things that I like. And these are the things I look for in a girl. And this is sort of what I'm all about. And he actually seems to think other people should be interested in that. Like he's so preoccupied with just his own completely myopic viewpoint on things with no awareness that it's just in the scheme of life. It's like nothing. Like he's nothing. Yeah. And yet he doesn't understand that. He speaks in like 
uh, SEO terms. And I, it's like such a, he like, he's like a YouTuber by trade. And so, and like unclear on who's engaging with his content, but like everything he says could just be turned into like clickbait for like more views. It's like, it's so two dimensional. Well, and this is my, I mean, I don't know if this is jumping the gun, but my whole issue with, and I use this word very loosely, my whole issue with Dana and Brett's relationship is that it's a relationship that's spent just talking about the relationship. Like, I don't think we've seen one moment of them like chatting or sharing an organic laugh together or connecting in the present moment. It's like all their conversations are like, well, this is, this is what it means for us to be together. And this is who's going to be pissed off if we're together. And this is what I like in a guy. And this is what I like in a girl. And I can tell this about you. It reminded me almost of like love is blind. Like I felt like when I was watching love is blind, it's like, Oh, these are a story about people getting into relationships where they talk about being in their relationships. And that's just like Dana and Brett just having these meta conversations about what it means for them to possibly be dating. And it's so just kind of self-conscious and like you were saying, two-dimensional. Yeah. Cause that's not how relationships happen. Like, and that's, I guess why it doesn't feel authentic. Like I don't believe that Dana is even into Brett. Like I just don't believe oh, no. it. And I didn't no. even really, I kind of maybe bought the Max thing, but even their relationship was a lot of just like talking about the relationship. Like, I feel like we never really got to see them like go on a date or like be together if they weren't just like hanging out in her apartment on the couch or like weirdly getting into bed. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't buy, and I'm actually someone, I'm a pretty easy sell actually with reality TV because I generally feel like, well, they can't be like that good of actors. So if it Mm -hmm. seems believable, like I believe it, none of this feels real to me. And Dana in particular, I just feel, I mean, can we talk about her a little bit? Yeah, let's talk. I mean, I just feel she to me seems like such a like low key schemer. Like I feel like almost she reminds me. I mean, totally different flavor, but she almost reminds me of Elisa Vanderpump or maybe even like an Erica Jane, where it's like, I think she wants to benefit from being on a reality TV show. I think she wants all the gains and the perks, but she doesn't really want to have to like show her hand or like show getting her hands dirty or reveal herself in a way that's truly vulnerable. I feel like she's smart enough to know the game and she's smart enough to know how to sort of appear the intelligent down to earth one who's not making a total ass of herself, Mm -hmm. but it all feels so calculated and, but she's not revealing the calculated part of herself. Like she's not willing to own being a villainous and she's not willing to own being thirsty. And so kind of like with Brett, she just feels like this empty shell and I feel like I mean the vibe I just get from her constantly is like I just feel like if you were if like you were rising the ranks of comedy with her let's just say I feel like she's the type of person who you'd sort of establish a sense of trust and camaraderie and we're like oh Dana's really nice and cool but then behind your back you find out she used your comedy contact without telling you and then you'd be like wait Dana that was my contact and she'd be like, well, what do you mean? Like, everyone knows it. Like, she wouldn't, she'd have this, like, great way of kind of gaslighting you and totally disowning 
what she did. Yeah, I get that sense too. And like, I feel like she's really, she's like in the producer's pockets in a sense that like, she went to Peter's birthday last season and like got on the show or got on the radar by doing that. And now like, they know like she has all the elements to be like a good reality TV star, like pretty and like dynamic and a sad backstory and like willing to do whatever they suggest. So they're like, okay, we're going to hire these guys and like, you're going to be into this one and then you're going to be into this one. And this is how you guys know each other, but it's all fake. And so she's selling you like when she goes, there's like a talking head moment with her and she goes, Brett and I, like, we built our friendship working together at Sir, And I'm like, that's a straight out lie. That's a lie. Brett didn't work at Sir. He was a YouTuber that was hired off of YouTube to, like, be on the show. So, like, but Dana's the kind of person that's, like, a producer will tell her to say it. And she'll just go with it because she knows that it's, like, good for her. And that's where the show is, like, fully disconnecting from itself because it never used to be about, like, selling the audience a lie. I mean, there I have heard rumors that, like, Jax didn't really work at Sir and was, like, more just hired because everyone knew he was, like, Stassi's shitty boyfriend to be, like, a bartender for the show. But still they had – they brought in, like, an organic relationship into the mix. So there was still, like, real drama there. Yeah. I'm okay with that stuff. Like, you know, I'm okay. Yeah. Like, for example, you know that Lala was hired similar in the way that Brett was. Like, they hired her to be on the show. But my thing about that is, like, they still brought Lala in, and I feel like the cast's reaction to her was organic. Like, I yeah. feel like, you know, it, it's like the housewives. You know, no. Are these five or seven women ever going to be going on a trip together in real life? No, but you know, this is the context the show is creating. And within that context, we're watching their stories play out. I'm okay with that. But I agree with you. I feel like this is going a step further where it truly is manufactured drama. Um, And then I think what makes it even worse, though, is the fact that there is someone like Dana, who's willing to do their bidding, but she's not willing to own that thirsty part of herself on camera so it's like not only is she playing a role but she's also like doing it in this very sort of calculated shut down way so we're just not getting anything off of her that's remotely kind of real or vulnerable or human and on top of that she's kind of shitty like i i mean we'll i will get into it but it's just this whole thing about like the delight that she and brett are taking at poking at shana and sort of stirring up this drama while the whole time saying like, hey, I just want everyone to get along, which is a total lie. Yeah. You totally love poking at Shayna. It's just we're not again. What's the return on our investment with Dana? It doesn't seem very high. No, it's a zero return. We're losing. We're losing money by the minute. <laughs> exactly. I'm obsessed with Charlie, though. I think that Charlie has like she's willing to really go there and just be kind of a thirsty hot thought and so i'm like here for it oh mvp breakout star love her like they are sitting on a gold mine this is what i'm gonna say about first of all i loved her from the first moment Mm -hmm. and um to me charlie actually i think she is what lala actually wants to be like i think she's the real lala yeah um in the sense that I mean, can I talk about Lala for a little bit? Yeah, talk about Lala. <laughs> um, 
I feel like, see, I feel like Charlie truly doesn't give a fuck. I really do. Like, I really feel like she's someone who is comfortable in her skin. I feel like if they don't ask her back to Vanderpump Rules next season, she's going to like, She'll go on to bigger and better thing. Yeah, like I'm not worried. (laughs) Exactly. And I feel like with someone like Lala, like Lala is all about power and control, right? So she needs to have like her stature. She needs to be special. She needs to have that relationship that sets her apart from the rest of the group. Because you can Mm -hmm. never really imagine Lala just being like one of the peers, you know, with the Vanderpump crew. She's got to have that like relationship with Randall. But the thing about the relationship with Randall is Lala also has to have power and control in her relationship. So she can't actually be with someone like, you know, Martin Scorsese or, you know, someone who's actually like a real film legend because then she doesn't have the power anymore, right? Then she's kind of like, you know, she doesn't have the power anymore. So Lala kind of has to set it up so that she's always in control, um, has the relationship for the power in the peer group, but then has sort of the dweeby film guy to have the power in the relationship. Charlie, on the other hand, when I look at her, I'm like, this is a woman I see like dating the A-list film director. She could date the A-list star. Like she would handle him. She would like, she would handle him and she would handle it. And I have like every confidence, like she's always going to come out on top. And that's kind of why I think of her as like the true, I feel like she is what Lala actually wants to be. That's so true. I agree 100%. I think you're spot on about the Lala and Charlie difference and where it really like Charlie confirms over and over that she's one to watch, but especially so when we're seeing her at her job waiting tables at Sir and everyone's asking like about desserts. And I love like you always know when a waiter is like not that into food when they recommend like three different things on the dessert menu. So it's like, you can't like, (laughs) you'll pick one of them and like you, they can't really be at fault. But the true star moment was like the wait or the person at the table was like, what about, what about the cheesecake? Like, how's that? And then Charlie goes, I'm really picky about my cheesecake. So I usually just go to the cheesecake factory, which was truly like, tells you everything you need to know about the food at Sir. And also Cheesecake Factory Cheesecake is amazing. That moment was so amazing. I mean, I I admittedly was trying to figure out if she was joking or not, but like just the true, the true amazingness of like, I'm a cheesecake snob, therefore I go to the Cheesecake Factory was uh, definitely a bright spot. In, in the entire episode. And the other thing that I want to say about her and those dessert orders is like, regardless of whether or not she cared about the food or not, I just appreciated and respected how she was basically, she was just handling it like a boss. She was like, this is what you get. This is what you get. And this is what you get. And honestly, I love that in a waiter. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. she's willing to be the decisive. She's willing, like, she just owns her decisions. She puts it down and she's like, this is the way it is. And I love that about her. Yeah, and I think that if there's someone, because, like, ultimately, to go, like, in the pattern that we've seen before and what really works on Vanderpump Rules is, like, you introduce a new person, the old people feel threatened, and they turn on the new person, and, like, it just reveals everyone's insecurities, and it's amazing to watch. And I think Charlie really has what it takes to, like, throw a wrench into everyone's, like, realities totally i mean the way she handled brett was amazing both on their date and then also in that ridiculous fight with shana at sir mm-hmm. i mean she 
totally handled him. And that line that she had at the end where she was just like, go write about it in your diary. I mean, that was like genuinely witty. I, I actually think she's smart. I think she's quick. Like, I don't think she's stupid at all. No, um, and I, I'm you know, into it. Yeah, I want to meet her family. Like, cause she talked about, cause I think her family's nearby, right? Didn't she say she's from like, is she from, is she like a California girl? I, maybe I'm making this up. I thought when they were at Cafe Gratitude, she may have said she was from like Chino or something okay. like that. That I feels know. right. I can't remember like totally, but that feels, it feels good to me. Yeah, yeah I'm ready to go. And I love a girl from like, you know, just random Southern California, like unglamorous, unchic Southern California. Like, let's do it. Exactly. Because that's such like a great LA thread too. Like that girl mm-hmm. who moves to LA and then works at Sir. You know, yeah. it's like. That was what Sheena did. Like she was a, just an Azusa girl with a dream. And that's turned out really well. Well, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I mean, maybe not for her so much, but like oh, for us, yeah. it's been amazing. Um, yeah. Lisa is back at sir and she has a very confusing scene with guillermo that i watched multiple times and still couldn't figure out like what he was saying what the problem was she comes back she's fresh off the heels of her mother's funeral and something to me is like not ringing true about this like funeral journey i can't put my finger on like what exactly it is but it's just like it's feeling like i'm just like something ain't right well, I definitely, I got a very strong intuitive hit around okay. Lisa and her mother when, uh, whenever that episode, I think when her mother first died, and you remember there was that line about her mother being very clever and knowing mm-hmm. how to do a cube. She was Mensa. Um, <laughs> My yeah, mother was Mensa. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> when she said that, I just felt something in me that was like, uh, okay. So basically her mother was clever. That basically in a nutshell, Lisa Vandermump's mother. Did I say Vandermump? Vandermump. <laughs> I feel like that's Tom <laughs> Sandoval's like alter drag alter ego. What, what's that woman's name? Visa. Visa uh, Manderpump. There's yeah, something. Vandermumps are the next coronavirus pandemic <laughs> with, with ground zero. Is it sir? Sir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, no, Lisa Vanderpump's mother basically did to her what Lisa Vanderpump does to everyone else. Like that, I could just feel this place where it was like, you, you are the Rubik's cube. Like you, you, or you have to go through the elaborately designed, clever maze that I put you, like the hoops I make you jump through, in order to sort of get my love. And I just could feel this legacy of like like cruelty and love closely linked together. And you're going to have to pay a price for the love that you get from me. Um, which is totally what we see Lisa Vanderpump too. She's like, she's so connected to her heart, but she's also so connected to her cruelty. And it's all about like, yeah, I'll love you, but it's on my terms and it's with conditions and you got to play ball, which of mm. course always goes south because no one wants to be in a relationship on those terms. But when she said that thing about her mother being clever, it was like, okay, that's what you grew up with this. Like, this is where you learned it from. Like your mother, the Mensa member is the one who trained you to do what you do to other people now. So anyways, the reason why I'm saying this is my feeling is 
Lisa, whether she knows it or not, I think has a lot of ambivalence about her relationship to her mother. I have a feeling it's not all just kind of like love and roses. Yeah, I got a feeling that they like weren't that close just based on like the first thing you go to when a parent dies is being like they were really smart, like or being like they were in Mensa and knew how to do a Rubik's Cube. I'm like, I hear that. (laughs) And I'm like, you guys weren't that close. Which is fine. Like, a lot of people aren't close to their parents, but I'm just like, that was very revealing. And yeah, so I it's guess, like, when she comes back and she's like, you know, my mother's funeral was this week and I was, had to be at the funeral. I'm like, okay, we get it. Like, you were at the <laughs> funeral. We all know where you were. Like, the more you say that you were at the funeral, the less I believe you were the closeness to your mother. So, okay. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like Lisa, Lisa's whole existence is about cleverness in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it was just so interesting, yeah, to hear her mother described in that way. It's like, okay. Yeah. Guillermo sits down and he's like, there's a lot of good things happening. And then he launches into a story. I'm like, did you understand what had happened? Yeah, I think I got it. I mean, yeah, I what I put together was that Danica as a manager only has two tables to watch in the Mm -hmm. night. So that way she has time and space to be a manager. And I think what happened is she gave, she swapped the bills. So the two tables got the wrong bills and one table was overcharged 200 bucks, which apparently that table didn't even notice. Cause I guess Guillermo had to go the next day and call them and say, Hey, we accidentally overcharged you 200 bucks. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, that didn't, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because I was like, did he call someone afterwards to then say... Because I didn't even know, like, if a restaurant fucks up your bill, my feeling is, like, it's on them rather than, like, on you. Unless, like, they're overcharging you and then you would be like, please take these charges off or can you, like, look at this again? But I thought he was saying he, like, had to call someone and be like, oh, by the <laughs> way, we're going to charge you $200 extra now because we, like, undercharged you. I was just very confused and I was like, it seems like Danica fucked up. I have no idea like why we're talking about this or like what the drama truly is. And then I was like, I got to move on. I don't have all night. It did seem like that would be strangely on brand for Sir to call back to people saying um, you Mm -hmm. owe us 200 bucks. But I actually think he was calling to say we owe you 200 bucks. Okay. Um, and then Lisa calls Danica over and really they're concerned less about the fact that she's like messing up people's bills and more about like her weird attitude, which to me, I feel like she is like on top of things as like a manager. I'm unclear. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm pissed for with Danica. I'm like, I have no choice but to take everything at face value because we're not being shown anything that she's done. It's just being talked about after the fact. So, like, I don't understand why we didn't have footage of her shoving Brett. I don't understand why we haven't seen a a glimpse of their relationship at all. And I don't understand why we don't have footage of her allegedly being rude to Richardson. Like, why is none of this on camera? Like, if it's not on camera and you're just going to talk about it after the fact, it doesn't matter. You need to figure something else out. Well, let's also ask the more important question, which is why is she not in the opening credits? Like, why? Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like the producers are sitting on this gold mine. Like, here we just have another kind of firecracker, messy, living large person who seems to be creating actual organic drama at the restaurant. 
And it's like, again, I want to kind of go to her and her life. And instead, I have to go to this like empty bar in the middle of the afternoon with Brett and Dana. I don't yeah. really understand why they're going with who they're going with. I don't get it either. And also like with Danica, she has a lot of opinions on everyone else's relationship. And that's like reality gold is like someone in their own seemingly like extremely dysfunctional relationship. If she's like physically assaulting her like boyfriend in the middle of a work day, like, and I want to see like that dichotomy. I want to see what a hypocrite she is. Like that's worked so well on the show in the past. That's like, the chewiest like yummiest shit and Vanderpump rules is when someone gets on their high horse and then their own life is a mess. So like, I don't understand. It's like, I don't get, I feel I'm like, I want to find a producer of this show and like shake them or like consult. Like I'm like, please just call me. Like I would literally like you can Venmo me $50 and I'll like tell you (laughs) how to make this show better. Honestly, like you owe it to us at this point. I think I know what's going on in the producers' minds. Um, I will bet you anything. I mean, I think it's just as simple as the fact that they think the bread and butter of the show are these romantic entanglements. So they're just like, if we've got a love triangle, that's what we've got to run with because they're not not actually looking at like the quality of material given, material. They're just looking at like the basic premise of, oh, we got a love triangle. We're running with that. And they're overlooking the fact that you've got these actual cast members who, you know, to your point, I feel like Danica, I could see her organically fitting in with the group. Like she actually feels like a fit in a way that Brett in no way seems like. And even really Dana doesn't really feel like an organic fit. Um, I think that they're just kind of like I think their blinders are on. I think they're not willing to sort of look past the surface of what's being presented. And they're just sort of going with the easy answer. Yeah, because like even Max, like I'm not super into Max, but the fact that he and Tom Schwartz apparently hang out all the time, like someone in this episode was like, you guys are like best friends, like they're just constantly together. I'm like, that's crazy to me. Like, let's think like that is organically like he's now organically in the group somehow. And so that works for me. Like, I'm like, okay, like I'll go on this journey. Even if I don't like him that much, it's still like feels authentically connected somehow yeah no he he does clearly have an authentic connection to the group you know the only problem with him is i feel like he's falling into the brett dana energy of not really being willing to reveal who he actually is i mean Mm -hmm. replete with like when people try to talk to him i mean he's so passive aggressive he literally won't look at them like he has this like a thousand yard stare to the side he kind of shuts down i feel like i'm seeing him as like a five-year-old shutting down Mm -hmm. and he just kind of like yeah crosses his arms and puffs out his chest and it's like you know my sense with max is like I think this is a guy who deeply, deeply, deeply wants to punish women. Well, I think actually he has a deep desire to connect with women. That's kind of what I feel about his essence is like, this is a guy who actually really loves women and loves sex with women and and just has a really deep, passionate relationship with women. But I think he probably got hurt somewhere there. And so now he wants to punish women. But his way of punishing them is so kind of like his cruelty is so silent and it's so sullen and it's, again, so passive aggressive that we're just not getting anything from. And then and that's the thing. He's not owning it. So just like Dana's not owning being sort of this thirsty villainous, Max isn't owning being this dickhead who just uses 
and abuses women. And instead he actually tries to like present as this nice guy who, who, you know, is just misunderstood by everyone. And so it's like a third new cast member where it's just like, we're not getting any of the real you. And instead we're just getting this kind of like shell that you're fronting. And so it all just feels dead on arrival to me. Yeah, totally. And then we get to, cause like, well, also like about, you're so right about the like sullen punishment, which I think is a fascinating read on him and so accurate. And, but also it's not necessarily going to play on camera that well. Like I was, I thought that it was very masterful of him and like highly manipulative to be like, have Dana be like, are you fucking this girl who's like wearing your sparkly Tom Tom shirt? And then he's like, no, which I don't believe. Like, I fully believe like he was probably fucking her, not telling Dana the truth. And then basically he allows you just enough space to like hang yourself. And then when you come back, like he never really wanted to be in like a committed relationship anyways, but he gets a lot of joy out of denying you a relationship that he mm-hmm. never even wanted. And so that I was like, whoa, that's like deep layers of fucked up, but I like get it. But I don't think be like beyond that, like I feel like for a lot of people that could fall really flat and it really, it's truly, it, truthfully, it's not enough to warrant him to like have a lot of screen time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I, I totally agree with you. There's such a deep punisher in him. And we even saw that a bit like he kind of let some of that slip with Danica where he was like, yeah, I was waiting for you to come into Tom Tom. So basically I could kick you out. Um, which actually when I say that, like that side of him could certainly make for better TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true. It's like sullen, passive aggressive punishment isn't really going to make for dynamic television, you know? Yeah. Um not yeah. for t- a show that's been predicated on like people like Stasi who literally are telling Sheena like go steam all the glasses now like you stupid home wrecking whore like when yeah. you come in hot you have to like rise to the occasion season after season like it can't just shift into like subtle like aggressive like aggressive moves yeah, and I feel like both Max and Dana are people who it's just like they shut down cuz I even see mm-hmm. Dana do that I you know, I see Dana do that where like someone will say something and you can kind of see it register on Dana's face. But rather than react, it's like her eyes kind of go wide as saucers. And it's almost like you can see like the gulp in her throat. And it's like she's literally just kind of swallowing down the experience. And it's almost like she it's almost like she goes into Stepford wife mode. And so it's just like you've got these two people who just they just shut down. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not what I really want. Vanderpump rules. I want to see people who are going to react and engage. Yeah. And it might work for Dana, like, an, as from a comedian standpoint, like, maybe she's more of an observer and that could, like, work to her advantage, like, on the stage or whatnot, but, like, not on a television show where you really need to, like, be bringing more to the table than, like, a wide eyed gulp. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think she's just too smart for her own good in, in the sense that there's just clearly a way she wants to be portrayed on the show, um, which I also think probably is connected to how she wants to portray herself in real life in the sense that I do think she, too, is like passive aggressive and she likes to poke like just that whole thing about I love how indignant and incredulous she was getting about like, oh, 
Max knows he was invited. And then it cuts to this like interview where she's like, well, I didn't send him a text inviting him, but it was an open invite. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, wait a second, you guys broke up. It wasn't the best breakup. And now you're saying you didn't send him a personal invite. And yet he's supposed to know that he was invited. And now you're pissed at him because he's saying he didn't know he was. I was just like, this is this is fuckery. You know, this is just I don't this is a game you're running. Mm-hmm, totally because she does also doesn't want to seem thirsty to like send him a text inviting him because that would also be too vulnerable i think mm-hmm. that she probably really did like have a thing for max i don't believe that she has a thing for brett no no and i feel like all three of those like it's it's like this triangle of people who just kind of like to poke at people yeah and then Tom's- hide their hands yeah, absolutely. No, 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 you're fine. Then we get to what may have been the most frustrating, awful scene I've ever watched on any show, which was Tom Schwartz and Katie's like summit after the like abusive meltdown. I truly I watched this scene with my jaw on the floor. I could not believe how much like skimming the surface there was and never an acknowledgement of like truly how pain, like the painful relationship dynamic that was here. Tom Schwartz is insane. Like he comes crawling, he like comes literally crawling in like limping. Like this is, uh, this is hetero hell. This is like one example of just like pure hetero hell. Crawling, limping in on the couch, being like, oh, my knee hurt. I'm like, not how limber as I used to be. He, he, and like icing his knee, acting really, like, acting really cute so that he can't get held accountable for his actions. And this is what I'm saying. This is what this guy has done. So can we go back in time a little bit? Because, like, I just want to say, like, this is why I've always known who he is. Do you remember? I, I, this season's all blurred in my mind, but there was some season where basically, like, it got, let out that he had cheated or done something with someone in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And so he gets a text, like him and Katie are at a bar, like filming some social scene. He gets a text from someone being like, heads up, like it's out basically on camera. Yeah. He, in that moment decides like, okay, this is how I'm going to handle it. Like I'm going on the offense. He pulls Katie aside at the bar they're in while they're filming, drops this bomb on her because this is when and where he wants to do it packages it in some bullshit lie of course to totally like i made out i think i made out with a girl in vegas i remember this scene because they're like at the corner of a of the bar and then he's like i think i may have like possibly kissed a girl in vegas exactly and so then of course katie starts to have a reaction which is a normal thing to do especially when you can tell your boyfriend's bullshitting you and he immediately goes into baba don't be sad don't cry baba don't be mad baba like basically telling her in this emasculated whiny child's voice like don't do this don't do that don't have your feelings and i remember just looking at that being like this guy is the most controlling manipulative person i've ever seen like he's not taking into account like her experience of this at all, or even like waiting till they get home so they can talk about it. Like he wants to engineer this so that he can basically skirt by, get forgiven and be the good little boy again. And anything that's counter to that 
he's just gonna like deny and disown. And I feel like he pokes her and he pokes her and he pokes her. And so of course, and I'm not excusing Katie's temper and she's certainly problematic, but I feel like of course in this relationship dynamic, she's gonna start losing it because he's crazy making and he's disowning all of his own rage and his own anger. And then I feel like what he does is he's like, oh my God, Katie, you're scary. And he turns it against her. And so it's like, the reason why I'm saying all this is like, I just saw all of this playing out again last night. And if you watched, it was like, he was trying to go back to that old narrative of, Mm -hmm. well, Katie, it was your reaction. But the thing, the reason why this is so amazing is because Katie didn't actually do anything wrong this time. Like she had perfectly reasonable reaction. She wasn't overreacting. She was staying with her experience. And so for Tom to keep going like, well, Bubba, I was just so triggered by your reaction. It's like you can see like, yeah, your game is transparent now, Tom, because that only worked when she actually had a reaction. And we're seeing now that you try to use her as a scapegoat for your own hostility, your own abuse and your own anger. And then you hide it behind this like little boy like that Bubba voice that gives me the chills, like horror chills, because he like you can't even step up in a mature like person to person. Like we are now communicating about a fight that we had, and like I'm gonna say where I was coming from, and I'm gonna hear where you're coming from. Instead, it's like the more you kind of cower and like call someone, it like you're calling them like the pet name or being like me 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 me. It like just diminishes them right it cuts their legs off right before they can even like have a leg to stand on and it's also just like my whole thing too is like look if you're gonna be ballsy enough or quote-unquote man enough to like be that cruel to your wife and to say those things and to publicly embarrass her like be man enough to like apologize in an adult voice you know the fact that like he literally went to the child voice to say, oh, I'm sorry, and I love you. And it's like, that's an act of aggression. Like, that yeah. is you. You are not giving her the full apology that she deserves. And honestly, like, what I wanted from Katie and what I've been wanting from Katie, it's like, because I feel like there's this whole conversation about their sex life and her attractiveness. Like, when he's speaking in that voice, like, I want her to turn around to him and be like, this is why I don't fuck you. Because you don't turn me on because you don't even speak like a man because you're using a child's voice to having an adult conversation. And I am so turned off right now. Like, I just wish she would turn those tables on him. Yeah, because I mean, and we only got that one moment of her kind of doing that, which now I think is truly iconic when she was like, why don't you tell him how your dick doesn't work? Like when she turned the tables on him and I was like, yeah, I'm now (laughs) like remembering that. But it's also like, I just can't imagine sitting across from someone and watching them like minimize my feelings and also like when you speak in a baby voice it minimizes the whole experience and like you're basically putting a label on it as like that was just like silly playtime and like you know I didn't mean that and I'm just like a cutie and a silly billy like and that was just like me being silly and it's like no that like we need to be honest and call it exactly what it is which like mm-hmm. you were like verbally abusing me in front of our friends and on camera on a reality show and like I'm your wife like I just can't imagine letting someone speak to me that way And I think the voice is truly chilling because the subtext underneath the voice, I feel like is you better agree to this version of me. Like you better 
go along with this part that I'm playing, you know, mm-hmm. and if you don't, there's going to be a price to pay. And it's interesting because you, this, I did feel like even though she didn't go nearly far enough and that's a sad thing, like there was a way that she held her ground and you could see like when she would say to him, like, look, I'm allowed to have my feelings. And, you know, it was sort of uh, like the optics of doing a cop joke is sort of insensitive in these days. You could see like the anger started to spark back up in him where he was like, don't be a social justice warrior. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like that that anger is just underneath the surface of like, I'm talking like this, you know, and you better go along with it. Because yeah. Because the second that you don't, I'm going to get fucking pissed. I mean, it's truly it's creepy. It's truly creepy. Bubba voice is a threat. Oh, for sure. It's like, you better go along with this. That's just why I hear like, you better go along with this. Ugh, you better oh go God. along with this. Myself. You know who else is doing Bubba these days is Justin Bieber and Haley Bieber. He is Bubbaing the fuck out of her. Like, we'll post stuff of her and like call her that. And I'm like, that seems like it's probably a very similar relationship mm-hmm. dynamic. I've not honed in on there, but um, I would not be surprised. Well, I don't know if you can really take that on in these (laughs) trying times, but I urge you to like drop into, if you want to like sign up for YouTube premium, you can watch his like reality show, which Uh truly I'm kind of sad that not a lot of people, I mean, I guess probably a lot of people watched it, but I just haven't connected with anyone in like my greater circle that really got into it because it was one of the darkest relationship dynamics I've ever seen I mean I'm drawn to him. I mean I couldn't tell you like a single lyric of a song of his I don't mm-hmm. know really much about him but I am drawn to him like I just when I see photos of him and kind of hear murmurs of what's going on with him I'm drawn to his energy I mean not like I not like I like his energy I just find it intriguing and I could see myself going down that rabbit hole for yeah. sure. Yeah. If anyone's wanting to like if you're not darked out enough by Tom and Katie's <laughs> relationship and you want to go a step further, go watch Justin Bieber's new docu series on YouTube because you'll get a lot of that same thing with him and Haley. I mean, I just feel like if we can like distill a moral from the story for anyone listening to this, I think in general baby voices are a little bit of a sign. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I don't fully trust a baby voice, and um, you know, I think people should be aware of of, of the baby voice. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm just now thinking of that Sex in the City episode where Samantha wore the fake nipples and then dated that like guy who immediately talked to her like in a baby voice. It was like the oh, Sammy funny. Whammy one of Bubble Wubba, <laughs> and I was like, yes, that is red flag number one. Yeah, because there's just something about an adult pretending to be a baby. You know, I mean, I don't think infantilizing yourself is ever a good sign. No. I mean, I don't want to apologize. It's you know. consen- a consensual like baby play is one thing. If you're going to like mix it up in the bedroom every <laughs> once in a while, like by all means. But like a day to day like is a no, no. I know. But, you know, and then, then that's the thing. Katie does go along with it. Um, and I do have a feeling for Katie. It's like I, my feeling for her is just that she's actually deathly scared to be with a guy who actually has masculine energy and who would bring strong masculine energy to her. I feel like it would bring something up very vulnerable in her that I don't think she wants to feel. So I do think it kind of works for her to be with this sort of like man child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's certainly not fun to watch. And and it certainly was not fun for me as a viewer to have an experience of like I'm actually agreeing with Katie. Yeah. And and like just wanting there. I was happy that she did stand her ground, but I really wanted 
them to dig into it more. I wanted like someone else to be like, what the fuck? And I feel like it's almost like, I feel like Ariana would be the person that kind of like speaks to this stuff in the past, but I feel like almost her voice is somewhat muted this season. Like we're not getting a voice of reason from her. Like, I feel like she's functioning behind a veil or something like that. I almost wonder if she feels stuck between a rock and a hard place because it's like, there's part of her that wants to speak out, but she also knows that she's kind of getting this reputation as the wet blanket. And so maybe she just feels a little bit paralyzed with how to navigate everything that's going on. Yeah. And I guess also if you're dealing with like, like a huge depression issue your go-to is not going to be to like ruffle the feathers of like an abusive group of psychos yeah i mean i'd be curious to hear like is she dealing with it like this storyline always is a little confusing to me Mm -hmm. um and i know it wasn't a focus of this episode so we don't have to go into it but like I just always look at her and I'm like, so Ariana, what are you, (laughs) what are you doing about this? Like beyond, you know, an infrequent phone call to Lisa Vanderpump. Like what's, what's going on here? Yeah. I wonder, cause I just, there was a moment where she and Lala and Dana are like sitting at that picnic table. And I was just like, what is she thinking about right now? Like what's going through her head? Like she didn't see, it didn't feel present in that situation. I mean, I've always said that I feel like she's in trouble. Like, I've always felt that about her. I felt like she kind of presents as the most functional, normal one of the group. And so as a result, it's kind of easy to kind of look past her. But she's always felt very, um, like, I've just kind of been concerned for her, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, there's stuff going on that she's just not in full connection with. Um, It's really eating at her in a deep, way i mean i actually my sense of her when i've kind of felt into her is that there's a tremendous amount of rage that she doesn't feel like she has permission to truly let through her and i think like she kind of like raquel actually i think of her like when i kind of drop into her essence i experience her as so powerful like i almost get this image of her as like a um like, I don't know, those, like, uh, like cartoon, um, I don't know, what. like, is it hentai? That's, like, a porn thing. Is hentai porn? Or is yeah, it always porn? Is it always like, porn? I, I think maybe sometimes it's just hentai. Okay, so not or like porn. anime not or porn. anime? Yeah, anime. That's what I'm trying okay. to say, anime. <laughs> I just, it's like, <laughs> anime warrior princess who's just, like, a fighter and intense. But I think she keeps a lot of that energy down for whatever reason. And I think that... Um, Yeah, she's just got a lot of stuff to to let move through her. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I have breaking news for all the men out there who are looking for a little cup support. Finally, Me Undies is unveiling their latest gifts to help men feel big. The contoured pouch and ball caddy. This micromodal sling keeps things separated and lifted. Nine out of 10 women swear this sophisticated brief technology will make you look huge. And that's all that matters, right? 
I personally have not tried the contoured pouch and ball caddy, but I do have a pair of high-cut, high-waisted MeUndies, and I'm obsessed with the material. I love to sleep in full-coverage underwear, and these are so soft. They're comfortable. They're also flattering. They don't cut in weird to my hips or waist, and I'm positive that based on my experience with MeUndies, the men who decide to go down a contoured pouch and ball caddy road are also going to be singing MeUndies praises. From all black classics to fun, expressive prints, MeUndies has a look for everyone. Plus, they come in sizes XS to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. MeUndies isn't just about underwear. Explore the lounge collection featuring joggers, hoodies, onesies, and more. MeUndies signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Not happy with your first pair of undies? It's on me undies. Good things come in big packages at MeUndies. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash sexy. That's MeUndies.com slash sexy for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, Princess Diana. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know that hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine? That is where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered showerhead. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement, unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code SEXYUNIQUE at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry! Your hair and skin will thank you. Katie and Kristen and Stassi have to plan a Witches of WeHo party, and they're like obviously forced to go to Villa Blanca, where no one wants to be anymore, and like do this like fake scene. And Lisa comes in dressed like Michael Jackson, 
with her friend Elena, <laughs> who we've never seen before, who truly just read as like a sex work. She, I was like, oh, that's a prostitute. <laughs> like, I was like, no question in my mind about Elena. Like, God bless, love and light. It seems to be working out for her really well. But I was like, who are these people? What is going on? And this is another instance I'm like, Lisa has lowered herself, like lowered herself into now being part of the drama of like people that she has no business fraternizing with. And by the way, like, yes, I so agree with you. Lisa has become, I mean, I've always found Lisa creepy, but her creepiness levels to me are through the roof this season because she Mm -hmm. is getting so involved. But that's actually, I didn't watch Vanderpump Rules for years. I actually just binge watched it last year. Like, oh, amazing. Uh, but the reason why I tried to watch it in the first episode, I was like, I can't tolerate Lisa's role on this show. It's like she's getting involved in her employees' lives. This feels so inappropriate. But even more than that, it was like the power dynamic of like, so basically you're creating a show where you're essentially exploiting your servers. You're tacitly encouraging them to act out so there's a show but then you're playing the role of the stern den mother who's disappointed in them and you get to be the kind of like down-to-earth matriarch who tisk tisks them i was like this is so to me it just felt sort of sick almost mm-hmm. like the the game that she was setting up um and i just kind of feel like fast forward to the season like she's become a pawn in her own game right because it's like she got she she cornered herself out of Beverly Hills, right? Because people finally got sick of being in their cages that she put them into. Yeah. And so now she has no choice but to like descend. It's almost like the ringmaster is going into the into the cages with the lions. And yeah, we and have to get it's so this- disappointing because you she always presents as this person that's like throw me to the wolves and I'll come out leading the pack. Like I can handle anything. And then the second that anyone questions her, which I always am really suspicious of people like that, because in my experience, the second that you actually like try and call them out or question anything, they crumble and run away and they like can't handle it, which is exactly what she did on Beverly Hills, where all she had to do was like own her like, nefarious machinations of like what she did with loosey goosey apple juicy and like (laughs) all she would have to do is be like yeah i like was pissed and i like lied or whatever the fuck and like show up to the reunion looking flawless and like have receipts and just like own it and then instead of that she just like ran away and i'm like that is not what that like everything has been a lie as far as i'm concerned I mean, in the thing is, she's always run away. Like, literally, I remember, like, because I think the first bout of all of this was when there was that whole thing with Brandy, Glanville, oh, yeah, and Kyle. Yeah, the magazines. And, magazines. and remember, like, they tried to have a conversation with her on the beach. She literally ran away in tears. And then she ran away from Puerto Rico. And then she ran away at the season finale party. And this is why I've always just been like, Lisa is not a badass bitch. I mean, she, like, she does crumble. She runs away in tears. She plays the victim. And I, and in a way, it's actually, I kind of like seeing what's going on with her because almost from like a fairy tale perspective or a biblical perspective, it's like, it's such an amazing, kind of like how Jill Saren had such a fall from grace as a result of her ego. Like seeing her in that last scene of Beverly Hills, like 
literally alone in her castle, drinking her tea with her swans and her animals. I was like, right, Lisa, this is what happens. When you want to be the queen who never descends and like never like shows her hand, you end up in your castle behind your moat all alone. And mm-hmm. I feel like now we're kind of seeing the dark sequel of that where she has to kind of be with the peasants and the servants to yeah. sort of cling to some scrap of like relevancy. Yeah, it's very sad. And then also her like horse or, or like her like pretend like masturbating video on social media. Oh, I was just like, wow, we've reached like record <laughs> lows with this one. Like you are truly scraping the bottom of the barrel, Lisa Vanderpump. Like go off, girl. And let's also acknowledge this is always who she was. This is why I've always been mystified by like what I've considered like the emperor's new clothes phenomenon with her of like how, of how she managed to convince people of like her elegance and this and that, because she's always just kind of had this really sort of lowbrow humor, which don't get me wrong. I have no problem with lowbrow humor, but it never seemed that particularly witty. And, you know, she was friends with Brandley Glanville and they were constantly talking about like pussy this and pussy that. And I don't know. It's like, this is who she's always been. And yet she kind of told people otherwise. And I think a lot of people just believed her. But I think now it's just because I think the I think the 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 the, like stitch in the fabric is like really, really fraying and people are seeing it a lot more clearly. Yeah, totally. And she spills the beans about Tom and Katie's like forthcoming wedding in Vegas to Kristen Like, which is totally like she meant to do that. Absolutely. Because she lives to like, just to like, sacrifice Kristen. Um, (laughs) And she knows that she can't like, she has no reason now that Kristen's like not working at Sir, like really part of her universe to be like actively aggressive towards her. But like, any sort of microaggression she can pull off, like she'll do it 100%. I'm kind of still waiting for like the reversal that happened with her and Taylor. Like, is there going to be a point where Kristen kind of like goes so far off the deep end that Lisa is going to like, you know, put the car in reverse and be like, Oh, Kristen, I will take you in and help you. I mean, never say never because I, she loves a project and Lisa (laughs) loves to befriend a woman that she views as like beneath her. Mm-hmm. Or like she can keep under her thumb in some way. And like, I mean, I think that that was like her relationship with Brandy was very much like that where mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, here's this like trashy woman who like makes me look a little bit more regal and sweet and refined. And then once Kyle started getting a voice and like became very successful, you, that power dynamic wasn't working anymore. Right. I mean, I think also part of the reason why she might not ever get over Kristen is like, I think that that's another place where she got caught by her own, like by the machinations of her own show in the sense that like, you know, she wanted nothing more than Kristen to just be totally out of the circle. But Mm -hmm. it's like that ain't happening. And so it's sort of this place where her power becomes limited and she actually has to sort of compromise in some way. And so I wonder if that kind of fuels what you very sort of accurately described as like her microaggression towards Kristen. It's just this sort of ax to grind because she can't escape Kristen. Yeah. Cause Kristen, like the show, Kristen solidified the show as a thing. So she'll always be like an essential worker on Vanderpump rules. Yeah. Yeah. What do you make of her like falling or like this fallout between her and Katie and Stassi? Like, where do you stand on that? 
I, to me, it's multifaceted. I do think that Kristen has put a burden on them. I mean, she actually literally said it last night where she was like, this is what love means. I think that she's got a very, very heavy definition of love where it's kind of like you've got to basically hold my hand through every sort of like like every piece of my spinning out, every piece of my self-destruction, like in order to prove to me that you love me. And I do think it's an unfair burden and I do think it's emotionally immature. I think having said that, my feeling was like initially, I think Stasi wanted to be there for her and wanted to like, I do feel like she wanted the relationship to work. I do think Stasi reached a breaking point with that and is now turning her heart off, mm-hmm. you know, to Kristen kind of almost as like a coping mechanism of like, okay, I'm done. Let me just become a bitch now. With Katie, I think it's different. Katie's felt a lot crueler to me towards Kristen. I feel like Katie has been more like, you are a mess in a way that I will never let myself be a mess. It makes me really uncomfortable. And I'm just going to kind of be really mean to you because I have contempt for you showing this part of yourself that I will never let myself show. Yeah, I that that seems like that reads true to me. And also, like, I'm now thinking about Kristen, like, because I understand at first I was like, oh, these like they're being really bitchy to her. Like Kristen doesn't deserve this. But then I really started like thinking about it and letting myself sit in it. And I've known people that pull like Kristen's with me that are just like, I imagine that when Kristen is going through something and she begins to text you, it becomes like an energy vampire mm-hmm. where it's not the kind of person that you can just like be texting throughout the day or whatever. It's like you're now sucked into Kristen's drama and you have to talk her off a cliff and it may take 30 minutes. It may take three hours where like you're not getting to do anything that you needed to do anymore. And you're now tending to her like anxieties and needs and doing that a few times. Like if someone's in crisis, like by all means I'm here for you. But after doing that and doing that and just watching her do the same thing over and over, that would become so emotionally exhausting. And it would just be like, why? Like you're now just like using up people's valuable time and resources and not making any sort of meaningful life changes. Yeah, exactly. And I just feel like there's such a heavy demand underneath it. Like when I drop into Kristen, what I always hear is like, stay with me here. Like you've mm-hmm. got to like that Kristen does like some part of her actively wants to be in the cesspool right now. And then she doesn't want to come out of it. And she wants her friends there with her. And like what she's saying to them is this is what it means to love me. And if you're not willing to stay in the cesspool with me, it means you don't love me. And that's why I say like, it just feels like an unfair demand, you know, like you can't put that on someone. And I feel like you saw that too in their sit down where it was kind of like the moment they sat down, like Kristen started breaking down in the tears and you could kind of see Katie's annoyance. And I, and I understood it. It was kind of this feeling of like, Oh, here we go again. And it's like, we can't even just sit down and calmly talk without you talking over me without you crying. You know, it's like, it just feels like it's a lot. Yeah. It's too much to handle. And it's not theirs to handle. It's just, she's taking stuff that doesn't belong to them and putting it on them. And it's like, there is a difference between, hey, I'm here as your friend to help you through something versus like, I've got to kind of shoulder this for you and with you. Yeah. I'm like your friend, your therapist, like the cross that you decided to like die on and like, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. 
Dana and Brett meet up for a very unclear lunch date in a dark, dingy bar. I was like, what is this place? Why? Like a lunch date is not a first. Like you don't go on a lunch date as a first date. Like that's like what I was like, what and how, why and how? I felt like we were in a Raymond Chandler novel. It was like, who goes to the, like, it was an empty bar in the middle of an afternoon. And then they it ordered sales. sunny and beautiful. Like, it, I mean, it's LA. <laughs> so like goes at least it on a patio somewhere. Like, why are you just like drinking in darkness? And also I love that they ordered cocktails because they're vegan. <laughs> that was, that was Dana's like, oh, let's get a cocktail. They're vegan. I love and I Brett's like vegan lifestyle. I love that he's like I love any vegan that's like I'm gonna drink a cocktail in the middle of the day. Hell. <laughs> and by the way, let's check in with Brett in a year. I have a feeling he's not into veganism for the long haul. No. And why like he has like he just seems also like so villainous. Like there's one moment where he's like looking Uh-oh. at Dana. Like he looks at people as like, what can I get out of them? I know you're talking about the moment where she was like, I know your type. You like the Coke bottle figure, the dark blonde hair. And it cuts to him and he's looking at her like it's like he's got the knives sharpened behind his back. It's like this death stare that truly read to me is like, oh, you're describing my type. And like what I like to do with my type is basically like dismember them and like bury the bodies in the back. It was a look of pure because I mean, I don't Patrick know. Bateman, because I wrote down in my notes, I said, Brett literally is going to kill someone someday. It was shocking. Mm-hmm. But wait, there's a line that he had that I feel like must be acknowledged. I, it was so amazing to me. And I almost was like, if Brett did more of this, I could maybe kind of handle having him on the show. Where he was like trying to explain to Dana that he um, cleared the date with Max before they met. And he said something like, I, I just you know, I'm just a little bros bros type of guy. Yeah. And... I was just like, wait, you are literally calling her a hoe right now. Like in this situation, Max is the bro and she's the hoe. And it just cuts to Dana. And that was like totally one of those moments where she just like gulped and like looked at him with wide eyed like saucer eyes. And I was just like, this is amazing that he's actually saying in all seriousness to his date, I am a you need to know I am a bros before hoes type of guy. Off the bat, like first things first, as we sit down to our like very first date where we might see if we can embark on like a romantic relationship with each other, I'm going to tell you that my loyalties will never <laughs> lie with you. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Easy. It's amazing. And that then, then Dana is like, and then what I loved about that too was like, then they launch into the convert. So then they launch into this bullshit conversation again about their relationship, about like, here's the thing. Sheena might have a reaction to them, but at this point, they're the ones who are making this a drama around Sheena. Like Mm -hmm. if Sheena's not saying anything to you, you don't need to talk about her. You're the ones gabbing about her. You're the ones making it an issue. So, you know, here they are taking all this unconscious pleasure and delight in talking about how worked up Shane is going to be about this because, you know, they're so hot and their relationship's so cool. And then uh, Dana says this bullshit comment that's totally not true where she's like, I just want everyone to get along. And Brett looks at her and it's just like, oh. I, I forget what the exact quote is, but he's just like, that's just so nice of you. Yeah. I was just like, oh, my God. And then uses that as like a platform to be like, you know, I can just tell about you. I've known you for a few months now. You're a girl with like a great head on her shoulders. You've got depth. And it's like you, this isn't even about Dana. Like you're not even paying her a compliment right now. You are in your subtext of I'm the kind of guy 
who likes to find a girl who has some depth and has a good head on her shoulders. And I can tell you have a good head on your shoulders. So you're right for me. It was just the most obnoxious conversation, like beginning to end. Yeah, it was awful. The whole everything about it was dark. It was dark, especially because, again, it was all for show. Yeah. Katie and Schwartz show up to Bo's office to then give him like engagement advice, which was truly very rich to me. I was like, you're going to have like, after what you saw from these two people, you figure that they're the best people to bring in to consult on how you should like go about proposing to Stassi. There was so much with that scene that was confusing to me. I mean, personally, it looked to me like Bo was wearing athletic shorts at the office um, and he then looked I unwell like it's like I I don't need the guys to like look camera ready but he really needs to maybe invest in some <laughs> at least just like a foundation and like maybe a little bit of powder and maybe some shirts that are a little higher end than J. Crew. yeah like you're on a show now at least show up to work looking like you're you don't need to look like kim kardashian but you can't look like a ruddy sailor that like just rolled out of bed and didn't brush his hair like that's not gonna work for me i'd also never know because he was wearing his athletic shorts i'd never noticed he had this really conspicuous kind of like rainbow colored tattoo on his leg have you ever seen that before his tattoos are truly a journey I can't even let myself go on because I'll never come out the other end the same person. So I'm just like, he is a guy with really hideous tattoos and I'm just going to honor that and never look further into it because I can't go down that road. It's like the lighthouse. It's it like is. you can't look too deeply into the light. I, I, I respect that choice. Um, the other thing about that scene that I found so intriguing and confusing was there's this like quick shot of like Tom Schwartz pouring what looked to me like a half bottle of white wine into a glass at one moment. Did you notice that? Oh, I didn't notice that. I was just like, where did like Schwartz bring this with him? Are they serving wine at this casting office? It was like truly just like, I, I guess I just in a way respected the Vanderpump cast members ability to materialize alcohol like in wherever they go yeah exactly it like doesn't matter if you're in a casting office in the middle of a work day in the middle of the afternoon there will be a half bottle of wine to like pour into a glass oh my god i can't believe i even missed that but i also it makes sense because i'm like why would i even flag that as weird at this point (laughs) (laughs) like that's just like what they do you're desensitized to the like I desensitized to room temperature white wine materializing out of nowhere and going down Schwartz's gullet. But why also okay, why does Bo have three diamond rings at his disposal? Okay. Also, like I, I look, I'm all for honesty. I love people owning who they are. I love transparency and you know, everyone's financial situation is their situation. But like there was something a little bit to me, like, are you there's just something to me about advertising that you're getting these kind of like secondhand rings that you're not actually paying for and being gifted to you. It just felt a little like even almost like this is what it is for Stasi's benefit. Maybe you don't need to be advertising this. Yeah. Like she obviously like he's like near Tiffany, like which we all know that bitch fucking loves Tiffany, but like, it just felt like I would not want my sigo to be like, and now I have three free wedding rings to choose from. And then Tom Schwartz is like, 
well, I'm just jealous that he doesn't have to pay for him. And I'm like, I've, I'm sick of seeing like the men on this show will never turn down an opportunity to complain about paying for anything related to like a wedding or an engagement. Like that's such a running motif. And like, I have not seen any of the women like complain about it in the same way. Like for them, yeah. like that's like an essential, that's just like part of the whole deal that they signed up for. Like they're happy and doing it. But that also just speaks to the relationship dynamic that I feel like these men, they don't want to be making the life decisions that they're making and then are instantaneously resentful that they have to like throw down cash for like a wedding ring or a wedding. Right. And then they also they also love the whole storyline of like, oh, these women. I mean, Jack's even said it at their Venice Park skate oh my party. God, where yeah. he, like women are always going to cause a ruckus. Did he say ruckus? Because then I think Brett later in the episode also said like, oh, I'm just causing some drama and ruckus with the girls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jax is basically like, yeah, women suck ass and they're <laughs> always going to cause problems. I, I saw I caught that, too, and was like, oh, my God. In and a full like, hockey outfit. P.S. We cannot forget. Well, P.P.S. I just love that, like, these guys of all people are, like, some of the most dramatic, like, petulant people there are. Like, so just this fiction of, like, oh, you know these women. It's, like, I mean, maybe if you're, like, on a housewife show. I mean, I don't like it when the house husbands do this either. But, like, if you've actually got, like, calm you know, even tempered guys who want to make like a dumb joke, like, oh, 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 you know, women, but like these guys of all people, you know what I mean? It's just like, come on. Yeah, they're arguably worse than any of those women are. And part of the reason that the women are so crazy is because of their actions. Yeah. 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 And so Bo's like trying to get Katie and Tom to like choose the best ring for Stassi. And then the producers are asking Bo and his like talking head, like why he loves Stassi. Like, why does he want to propose to her? And he says just like the canned responses of like smart and beautiful and blah, blah, blah. But then he was like, we can just look at each other and just fricking eat Mac and cheese and everything is fricking perfect. And I was, I just wrote, no, I refuse. I refuse that statement. Yeah. I did notice that statement. I was like, well, I mean, I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt because my thought process is like, that sounds kind of shallow to me. But then I was like, well, Jamie, you know, not everyone like, you know, needs things of like depth, but maybe, maybe, maybe you had a similar. Yeah. I'm just like, "Mm -mm. that may be true, but it's not okay with me. But to your earlier point, like now that we're talking about the scene, I realize like there was no point to the scene. It's like I don't know what advice they it's what advice they gave him. I, I also don't understand because he was like, I've been planning this for six months. And I'm just like, wait, I don't understand. So you're gonna take her to a cemetery and you're gonna propose to her. Like you have to get like, I guess, a box that looks like a rock. But how has this taken this didn't feel like six months of planning? And I also didn't see where Katie and Tom were kind of like stepping in to give him needed help or advice. No, this was a whole storyline that was un- completely unnecessary from beginning to end because the entire like B plot of this like Bo Stassi thing is like, 
Stassi and Bo are getting in lots of fights because she really wants him to propose and he's like dragging his heels. But in reality, he's planning to propose. So like they would never even need to get in a fight in the first place because there's no grounds for a fight. If you're like, hey, I really want to get married. Like, do you think you're going to propose soon? All he would have to say is like, yes, I have a plan. Don't worry. Like we're on the same page and it's going to happen, but I want it to be a surprise. Like that's how when I've spoken to couples that are at that stage in the relationship and you ask, like that's how a normal couple answers the question. And then it's just like the drama's over. There is no even room for drama because we all know like they're like, this is one of those things where it's like a simple miscommunication or is being turned into like a much bigger deal than it is. Because there is yeah. actually no, there's like everyone's on the same page at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, you're like, I totally don't understand the story. I was going to ask you to explain the storyline to me because I'm just like, I don't get what the conflict is here. Like they haven't been together that long. You know, he is planning on proposing. And then Stasi made that comment where she was like, I thought it was going to happen the day after like the Kentucky wedding. And so then I'm like, wait, so is this about the show? Like, are you, cause like, I'm thinking like, why would you assume that? Right. Like if you're just a normal couple living your life, like why would you assume the day after, you know, your best friends get married, Bo's going to propose. So it's like, are you just upset because you know, there's a proposal coming for the show timeline and he hasn't done it yet. I, I just don't get what she's upset about, but then conversely Bo's way of dealing with it does sort of feel strangely cruel where he's somehow like couching it in this hesitation that seems to genuinely be making Stasi feel insecure. And so he's just kind of silently sitting there while she's crying. I just don't understand. This is like, I used to be a script consultant. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the story that I'm watching here. I don't understand the conflict that's playing out. It feels like two different conflicts being melded together and I'm lost. Yeah, it's very confusing and convoluted. And like, when I hear you describe it, I really imagine that like, Bo has relinquished a lot of power that he has in life to this relationship. So for him to say something like, it's gonna happen, like, but it's just gonna have to be like on my own time. Like, it seems like it's his last power grab, the last, like, hold that he can exert on this relationship and on this woman, instead of just being like, it's going to happen, babe. Like, I have it all planned. I really just want it to be a surprise for you. And so, like, just trust me, it's happening is like, that's all you would have to say. So to to couch it in that way, as you said, is like, just feels very emotionally manipulative. And like, it's happening for a reason. No, I totally agree with you. And it's like the vibe I'm getting off it when you say that it's kind of like, yeah, it's just like, this is mine. You don't get to tell me what to do. It's just very kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do this how I want to do it. Like, like you said, it's like, this is like sort of the last piece that I can kind of protect and that there is sort of this underground hostility around it, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense. So it kind of makes sense why, because I just didn't understand what I was picking up on because like I said, I was sort of picking up on his cruelty, but then it's also like, but he is proposing like it, none of it. Yeah. yeah this, so it doesn't make sense to like withhold if you're gonna just do it anyways, you know what I mean? The only reason that you would do that is to kind of like twist the knife a little bit. I mean, I still don't understand why Stasi's 
upset. Like I don't, maybe this is just some sort of emotional immaturity in her where she's ready to go and she is a control freak and she genuinely wants it. Like maybe that's what's going on. But I think that there's a dynamic in their relationship. And we kind of saw this last season when they like talked about like her dark passenger and her like flipping out on Bo. And they had that fight where they were both crying where it's like, I think that he has some sort of hold where it's like, I can bring the axe down on this if I want to. And like, I can end things if you get too crazy with me. I can mm-hmm. and will end things or things won't go your way if you get too crazy. And that's like kind of the only power card that he can play. <laughs> and I think that really scares Stassi because he is yeah. like the first nice guy she's dated truly. And also like they're, they're all at that place in life where it's like the, it's like a domino effect where one of them gets married and now like all of them have to get married. So this is her shot at like getting married and getting the wedding right before her like career might take off in a different direction. And like, she really does like she has to fight. It's like, she's at odds with herself because she does want all that, but is also, I think she doesn't realize it, but is willing to sacrifice her long-term happiness for getting like short-term happiness with Bo who I don't think that their relationship is going to work out long term. No, I mean, you are so right. And you just helped me contextualize something that has been gnawing at me since last season. Because I remember that whole dark passenger thing. And he was like in bed shirtless with the tears. And I remember just kind of feeling like, I just, there was something about it I didn't like. And I didn't know why. And so when you say that about him having that power of being able to drop the axe, I think you're so right about that. And I think he wields that. And that to me is also the energetic connection between Bo and kind of all these other relationships that Stasi's had. It's just, it's in a much quieter package where it's like before she was with these sort of these guys who kind of present, I mean, they weren't actually powerful, but like presented powerfully, like, you know, like a Patrick where it's like, she's kind of like sitting there, like walking on eggshells, sort of trying to do all the right things in order to make sure like she can hold on to the relationship. And I feel that same energy in what you just talked about with Bo. Mm-hmm. And it actually, it's interesting too, because, you know, I don't personally love Stasi like as, yeah. the, you know, what character in the show but this is the one place where I really I, I do find myself having a lot of compassion for her because I do feel like she truly I think she truly loves Bo I think she truly is opening to him and I think there truly is like a blind spot there for her where she doesn't fully understand the dynamic she's opening herself up to yeah um, you know, so I, I hope for her you know if and when this all breaks down I hope that she can like learn the lesson from this relationship and truly then move forward. Yeah. Rather there has than- been, Oh, sorry to interrupt you, but there has been some evolution on her part mm-hmm. from the past relationships to this relationship now. For sure. But it yeah. still is like, there are whispers of that same dynamic where it's like, you cannot fully be yourself or like you I mean, it's like you want, you don't want to be with the person. You don't want to have the fights with the person that's going to stay out late or do all that. It's like you don't need to like find someone and then like chip at them and chip at them and chip at them until they're doing what you want them to do. It's like you deserve to find someone that just kind of fits into your lifestyle in the way you want, like a puzzle piece. 
Yeah, and it's like when I feel into it, it's like when we talk about it, what I feel for Stasi, it's like her heart's kind of frozen. It really is like someone who's kind of, you like walking on eggshells is the right phrase, someone who's kind of like holding their breath, kind of nervous if they go too far one way or the other, the whole thing's going to kind of like come crashing down. So I just mm-hmm. kind of have to like stay still, stay quiet and hope that everything works out. Um, but then also it, once they get like, Bose can't hold on to that power for much longer because it's like, they're going to get married. They now live together. Like they have the house and like the wedding forthcoming. And so once that's all said and done, like it's not like, a divorce is easy to threaten, but not easy to enact. So like all his power cards go away and then it's just going to be like a battle of the egos until it eventually implodes. Well, which is why I feel like this really has echoes of Bethany and Jason. Mm-hmm. You know, it really feels like that dynamic. It is interesting because I have dropped into Stasi before around like who, like who is she? Like who is, who, who is she with? You know what I mean? Like in her kind of like higher self. And I really think Stasi needs a guy who matches her energy in the sense of like she needs a guy who is powerful in his own right. Uh, who has kind of a strong masculine energy, but is also in his heart. And I can feel for her, though, what that there's something she in the place where she lets go, like meaning in the place where she's not clinging on to a relationship in that kind of frozen walking on eggshells way. I think there's something she's going to have to feel there that she's never wanted to feel. I think there's some sort of like young heartbreak some sort of girlhood heartbreak that she's never fully processed. I think she's, oh, that's what it is. Some part of her is waiting to be rescued. That's what I feel. And I feel like if she steps into an adult relationship with a guy who can match her, she has to let go of this fantasy of being rescued. And I think there's grief and pain there that she hasn't wanted to feel, but it's ultimately what she's going to have to go through in order to just finally bring in a guy where it's like, okay, even playing field, we're matching each other. And now we're moving forward into our future. Oh, so right. I have chills thinking about that. I got I'm obsessed so- with your reads on people. They're like so, so good. I needed this like we needed to have a moment in the podcast where we like drop down into like very real talk about what's going on. So I'm so glad that we're doing that. Um, <laughs> I'm a game for that. Kristen takes to the Beamer to just like drive around, run over squirrels and call Sheena to find out what's (laughs) happening with this Vegas wedding of Katie and Tom's. And like, I feel, I wonder if Kristen, like, I don't think she's going to come out of this whole kerfuffle any wiser. Cause I do think that she's dating I think she's semi dating someone that's like in their friend group now or is like connected because I think she yearns the seductiveness of being in this like Vanderbilt rules friend group. Like she can't break from that. So it's either like assimilate or die. And I think that she ends up assimilating and this is all going to repeat itself over when her current relationship like fails again. But I don't know. I'm just like. I don't get any pleasure out of seeing Kristen get like rejected by these two women. No, because again, I'm just like, if this is Chris, I mean, Kristen is one of the people who's like giving us something real, but I'm just Mm -hmm. like, then can we just go all the way into the storyline, please? Like, let's go to her therapy. Let's deal with her. Like, I just feel like, you know, maybe this is getting into more of a meta conversation about the future of the show, but it's like, I just feel like the time is coming for this to broaden out into a more like, 
housewives or summer house-esque type of candid reality show where these people go and live their lives. And like, you need to see that. Like, I want to meet Kristen's family. Like, I just, I want to know more about what's going on with her. But if I'm not getting more of what's going on with her, and again, it has to stay stuck inside fucking Lisa Vanderpump's like house of horrors that she's created for like her pets, then it's just, it's claustrophobic and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Like I want to see Kristen like redoing her house. Like I would rather watch her like interacting with the guys that are like sanding down her floor and like wondering what color she's going to like paint a wall in the kitchen than like deal with this kind of drama where you know it's like, they're probably they're at least is going to like Katie and Tom's like stupid Vegas wedding. And it's just like another excuse to like film with Lisa and probably work in like the Vanderpump cocktail garden. Like I'm sure we're going to get some scenes there. Yeah. It's just like enough. And then like the icing on the cake where I'm truly like at this point, you are insulting the audience that watches the show is when Brittany decides to fake work. Oh my God. Okay. Can I, I, okay, this is what I got to say about this. Uh, am I cutting you off? No, I'm just like, honestly, fuck you for doing this to us. No, seriously, double fuck you. Because look, if we're going to go with fiction, just go with the simple fiction that everyone's still working there. But to take this bizarre convoluted route where at the beginning of the season, you're kind of like faux acknowledging that these people are in a different like socioeconomic class now. They've left the restaurant. You're setting that up only to have them come up with fake reasons to come back to the restaurant. Again, I'm just like, why? Like, why are we taking the long way around to these fake storylines? It's like bad enough to have a fake storyline, but I'll buy it kind of like if you just have them still working there, I'll kind of buy it for the sake of like having them there. But don't insult me by having them pretend to quit. And then pretend to need to come back like that. It infuriates. Again, I don't know if this is the part of me that used to work with like screenwriters, but I'm just like this story doesn't make sense. And why are we like going the long way around? And like, what do you take me for? Do you think that my like IQ is low? Like no one like this show. I always say it is a show for geniuses. So you don't need to like do this to us and to have Brittany be like well, the wedding was expensive and like, I don't want Jax to think that I'm not participating and contributing financially. It's like, okay, so you're going to take a waiter job at Sir where you can like walk out with like $400 like a day. Like you're making money being on this show. Like you're contributing financially. You just bought a fucking house. Like what are you talking about? And let's just even say, for example, you need more money. It's like you're not going to get a job with an hourly wage. You are a famous no. person. You like have resources that you can go and do. And like, it you just, do a branded partnership with someone. You can do an appearance at a nightclub. Like you could make what you'll make in a month working like two shifts a week at Sir, going one night at some nightclub in like Iowa. Like exactly, stop with the lies. And this is my thing. This is this is why I have trouble. I know people have been really like on Ariana's side, and I I do like Ariana, and I feel for Ariana. But this is part of why I continue to have trouble with her like depression storyline because I'm like I do believe you're deeply struggling. And again, I've been saying that about her for years. But it's like when you package it in a storyline for the show, where it then becomes part of your reason why you're working one night a week at Sir. 
I start feeling like this is disingenuous. Not that I don't believe that you're depressed, but I feel like the way you're nav, like your relationship to it on the show feels disingenuous. Like if you're going to go there and I do think she had that one real moment where she broke down Mm -hmm. wherever they were. I think that was Tom Tom. But if you're going to go there, can we just please actually go there and don't like commodify your depression as like a neat storyline for the show where I don't actually believe, like I feel like what's going to happen is like by the season finale, she's going to like pull Lisa aside at a party and be like, yeah, like I think things are getting a little bit better and she's going to have like a nice little neat end of the storyline. And it's like, this isn't really doing justice to like what you are presenting as a serious issue. Mm -hmm. I just want to get that off my chest. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like that, I mean, working at Sir is the reason you're probably depressed in the first place. Like <laughs> you would be way less depressed maybe if you had never set foot at Sir. Exactly. Having said that, I would be all for a storyline where she gets real help. Like I would love to see her. Yeah, now. I would love to see her like in therapy or talking about medications or like trying out different like holistic kind of healing methods, like maybe exactly. even going on a spiritual journey and like seeing like an empath or an intuitive to like help her out. Like I would take anything at this point but not when it all roads lead back to sir it's like we're in like it's like being in the matrix like in a fucking maze that you can't get out of where it's like no matter how much you like try and claw and break free you think you're out but then you're just back again behind the bar at sir and the setting of this matrix is just, it's Lisa Vanderpump's nightmarish world of like secondhand chandeliers and like, you know, and just like styrofoam like, pillars. Yeah, exactly. And like <laughs> leopard print velour menu holders. And it's just like, we're in Lisa Vanderpump's mouth of madness right now. And it's, it's a very difficult place to be. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> We get to Lala, Dana, and Ariana meeting up for their picnic where Ariana is just like basically mute. And then Lala, go- Lala at least gives us some like peak Lala moments here. Oh boy. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. I-, I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Lala admits to doing a pissy Tate's test, which I was like, okay, oh. yeah. Like, t- like I was taken aback at first, but then I would be a liar if I've said that I've never done that as well. So props to Lala for bringing <laughs> pussy taste test awareness to the table. And I'm not ready to fully forgive her for her like shenanigans with Raquel, but at least she won like a little bit of my respect with this scene. Well, what I was most intrigued by was her declaration that eight thirty is prime <laughs> pussy popping time. Like that, I love like that. that I rewound that statement so many times. I was like, really? Like eight thirty? Like what about eight thirty is prime pussy popping time? And like, what does pussy popping even entail exactly at this bar? Yeah. Like it was truly, uh, it was a statement for the ages. That was eight thirty. That's prime pussy popping time, bitch. I was like. Okay, I went with it. I was like, yes, it is. Absolutely. (laughs) But now that you bring it to my attention, I'm like, it actually is more like prime dinner time. And then I would, (laughs) I would say that pussy popping time starts anywhere from like between 10 p.m. to maybe 2 a.m. Seems like that would be prime pussy popping time. I mean, I will say I do, Lala can deeply, deeply trigger me, but I do sort of find this part of her endearing where she starts to just say shit that it it feels like she's not even remotely aware of what she's saying. It's like she's sort of plugging words in and 
just kind of has this off kilter quality to her that I do find a little bit endearing. Yeah, it's fun. Like she brings like that fun kind of like hoe energy to the mix. And that's like kind of how she was when she first got to the show of like being a yacht girl and like saying all this shit. So I appreciate when she like takes it back to that energy. Yeah, she has a part of the reason she triggers me. She's kind of got that Caroline Manzo thing of like thinking every word that drops out of her mouth is like a golden nugget of wisdom. And it just Mm -hmm. like usually infuriates the heck out of me. But um, when she's using it for statements such as 830 being prime pussy popping time, like I I can roll with that. (laughs) Like that feels more fun and light to me. Yeah, I'm in. And I like that Ariana just went with it. She also, Ariana said nothing in this scene, but then (laughs) all of a sudden when Lala declared 830 PM to be prime pussy popping time, Ariana popped her pussy to celebrate. And I was like, okay, like you are alive. Hey, welcome to the picnic. Yeah, I think I think Lala's got a little bit of medicine for for Ariana in these dark times. Yeah, a little bit. I want I wonder what their relationship it like how close they are because it goes so back and forth. Like part of me is like is Ariana even close to any of these people? Like I think no. When sometimes when I see her and especially in scenes where she had that like huge breakdown and everyone's just like what's wrong with you? But then scenes like this, I'm like, oh, like maybe they are just like silly lol friends. Well, what I'm always remembering, and it actually came up for me during the pussy popping conversation, is that they have hooked up. Like they literally, oh, like yeah. Lala literally had oral sex with with Ariana. So that to me brings in this whole other dimension of like possible closeness and intimacy between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe I wonder like, yeah, I wonder what Ariana makes of that. Or if there, what kind of acknowledgement there is, because sometimes it feels like they drop into it. Like there was one time where, like, when they're talking about like the homophobic pastor or whatever, and Lala's like, "Well, I've eaten your whatever," like blah blah blah, and then Ariana is like, "Yeah," and then they kind of feel close in that moment. But then there's also these moments where it's like, "Whoa, Lala's like a pod person. Like she doesn't understand this woman at all." I know. Yeah, I mean, Lala was getting pretty cruel with yeah. regard to earlier in the season um and was and my even bigger question is like was that moment like for lala where they hooked up like a moment born out of just like like being fucked up and just like acting crazy or was that an urge that she's had for a long time because it seems like like as a bisexual you are dealing with like attraction to women and attraction to men. So it's, I believe that Ariana probably was very into that like hookup or like wanted it at least. And then it's like when it gets maybe, I don't know, it would just be an interesting position to be in if it's just like, Oh, you just did this for like the fun of it. Not really like out of desire or anything like that. Yeah, it is interesting. I do get the sense that there's something here that gets glazed over mm-hmm. between them, you know. And also, as we're talking about the scene, it's funny. This wasn't occurring to me during the show. And I know I know that Sandoval has said, like, the producers asked them not to move furniture into the house. But um, I am suddenly just really having this sense of, like, concern for that. Like, I'm just getting this image of the two of them living in that empty house. And it just suddenly felt very, like, stark and uh depressing yeah i think like the build up to 
the excitement of moving out of that horrific apartment into like a house of one's own with a pool and like achieving this big life goal, but then not being able to fill it with objects that you love or like make it into a home feels almost like a pair, like you just did a parallel move instead of an upgrade to your life. It is interesting, especially when you think about the fact that they, you know, more than anyone else, like stayed in that shitty, shitty apartment for so long. You know what I mean? Like with mm-hmm. the, you know, I mean, it was just such a shitty apartment. And like now they've, like you said, they're upgrading, but now they're just living in this empty home. And I don't know, there's something about it that's really like speaking to me in this moment. I think because, I mean, I'm a huge Sandoval fan generally. Um, and there's just something about the two of them and their position on the show, like, cause they're kind of like the outsiders this season. And now they're sort of living in this empty house. I don't know. It's, it's, it's feeling very poignant to me all of a sudden. Yeah. Like I feel like Ariana like benefits from stability and like the, the ability to create a home that she feels really safe in. I bet it's probably like a, that would be an important thing for her specifically. And so to like not have that, I don't know, feels weird. Well, and also my sense of, I mean, I always get such strong hits about Sandoval and like who I feel he is in his essence, but you know, I mean, and this isn't a surprise. He talks about wanting a family, but he feels like such like a family man. And like, like he's, his heart is so huge. And so even him, it's like, I feel like you're supposed to live somewhere that like, is you know hearth you know what i mean mm-hmm. that there's actual home and i think it just feels the emptiness just feels so like you're saying like unsettled and kind of ungrounded and unrooted um, what do you make of their relationship like where do, what's the essence of their relationship to you i think um i mean my whole thing with sandoval I mean, this might sound strange to people. Like, I, I think I'm always really drawn to, like, his really robust sexuality. He uh, strikes me as someone who could, like, be a sexual healer. Like, I think he's so supportive of people's, wow. like, sexual energy. Yeah. No, truly. And, you know, and, like, He let's has not a very sexual – there is some sort of, like, sexual energy to both kind of him and Ariana. And, like, a warmth that – because back in my early days of podcasting about this show, I had most of uh, almost all the cast members on my like first iteration of this podcast. So I met them all like during season three when that was airing. And Tom and Ariana were the only ones that I was like, I felt like sad after they left my space. Like I like yearned for them. I was like, I want them to like be around me. Like I le- like I re- genuinely liked being around them. And they had like good energy. Yeah, I've all since season one, I've loved Sandoval. Um, I, you know, he, I mean, there's I could say so much about him, but um, yeah, and like even the music video he did with Charles McMansion, it's like it was interesting to me. It was like this is about opening up people's libidos, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's like I just think he's so supportive of people's sex and sexuality. So I just think it's interesting that he keeps ending up in these relationships, as far as we know, where it's like that's not met and reciprocated. And I think that with Tom, I mean, I think he's with the perfect. I think they're perfect for each other if they did the work they need to do on themselves because I think Tom, my sense of Tom is basically like, he's got this huge heart, this huge creative energy, huge passion, huge vision. And he keeps it all really small. I think like to me, it's not a, it's not an accident that like, yeah, he's living his dream of being a bar owner, but he's a 5% 
bar owner. Mm -hmm. It's like everything's tight and small. And I feel like he's kind of got this unconscious, like, fuck you to the world. That's kind of like, you're not getting all of me. Like kind of like a little bit of a max, but he's so bright and he's so, his heart is so big that even him at 5% is still like a really dynamic personality. Um, So I feel like he kind of brings in these women who kind of, um, it works for him because the place where he deep down wants to be married, wants to have kids, wants to have like a great soulful sexual relationship with his woman. If there's a part of Tom saying, "Uh uh-uh, like you're not getting all of me, it makes total sense that he would sort of bring someone in who's sort of saying like, I'm shut down in my body. I have issues with sex. Like I'm not going to let all this energy flow. So I think they're kind of perfect for each other theoretically because I think Ariana needs a sexual healer because she's talked about that, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. being shut down sexually, being at odds with her vagina. And I think Tom needs someone who will challenge him to bring all of himself, you know what I mean, to relationship and to get over this place inside that wants to withhold there's more I could say about that, but maybe I'll just leave it at that for now. So I think that they could be great together, but I do think right now they're they're sort of stuck a little. I think they deeply love each other. I think they work well together, but I think they're stuck a little bit in the ways that they're bumping up against each other's limitations rather than accepting the invitation of like, oh, here's how we could both help each other to step into who we actually are. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. I hope they get there. I want that for them. I do too. I mean, honestly, Tom, I mean, look, sometimes I have my issues with him. He's, I mean, I I don't know. I'm getting moved now talking about it. He's such a (laughs) sweetheart. Like when I saw what he did, like when he was in drag at BravoCon, I just was like, this is amazing. Like, you know, I mean, and I know it's 2020 and like, you know, whatever, whatever. But like, it wasn't just that he was in drag, which you could look at as like a bid for attention. When I saw the way he embodied that and was so in it, I was just like this straight identified guy, like opening up to this like sort of serpentine, like sexuality in him and like moving his body and being in drag. I just was like, there is no shame with this guy when it comes to like sex and sexuality. And it just, it really touches me. And I, and I, you know, I also remember like that episode, I thought it was kind of a problematic episode, the Orlando shootings, but he was the only (laughs) one. Yeah, you don't say. (laughs) I guess that's I guess it's old news. You have to remember I just watched all this for the first time. Yeah, yeah, like, you you're yeah. new to the game, but yeah, that oof, that Orlando shooting episode was a wild ride. I mean, I didn't know yeah, so I don't know what people how people responded to any of this, but like mm-hmm. I what I remember is like Tom like crying real tears and saying like these guys were just like out there trying to have fun and I was just like god, he actually cares. Like He's the only one who cares about the loss of life. He's the only one who like, and there was something about it being like at a gay club, like just the way he felt so connected to it. I don't know. I, I'm sort of rambling now. I, I, I have in this moment, I have deep, deep appreciation for Tom. I think he really deep down does have a huge heart. He has so much love to give. I think he's a humanitarian. I think he wants people to be happy. Um, yes, he gets kind of shitty and there is an anger and an edge to him that he, you know, hopefully one day will sort of own and, and sort of bring to consciousness. But I just, I have so much appreciation for him. Yeah. I think he genuinely cares like about other people and yeah. like gives, and he does like give it his all when he's in a situation like, Especially, I feel like, with fans of the show. And, like, I've seen him. I was in Oklahoma City, like, 
visiting my family over a weekend when not only like Tom and Jacks were making like a club appearance in Oklahoma City, but also James Kennedy was DJing. So it was like I just was living my Vanderpump truth in my hometown, which is a real <laughs> moment. But he to like see the way he was interacting with all these people that like would never get to just go to like um Thirsty Thursdays or Thursdays or whatever, Tequila Tuesdays at Sir, it's like they came to see like Tom Sandoval do his thing and like do the robot and dance all around and take pictures with all of them. And he did it in a way that was like very much like, I want to be here with you guys. I'm going to make yeah. sure you get the all my attention. And I was just like, he's a real one. Yeah, for, no, he's a lover. He's like a total lover. Yeah, I love that you call him a humanitarian. That's my new description <laughs> of him from here on out. He is a I, humanitarian, damn it. <laughs> I, I feel like he's a humanitarian. I really do. I'm honored. We get to Dana's birthday, and when she's walking in with her sister, I thought that was her girlfriend. And I got like unreasonably excited. I was just like, oh my God, like Dana's coming. She brought like a girl that she's dating. Like, finally, we got like a lesbian storyline we deserve. Like, fuck Brett. And then she was like, oh, it's my sister. And I was just like, God damn it. Yeah, that would have been, I, it would have been much preferable to what ensued. Yeah. And then Danica, someone asked Danica in like a talking head about Dana and she goes, I really like the girl. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dana's wild. I feel like she's like an old school, like mad, like madam of an old school brothel from like gangs in New York days. Like just like wanting to live a wild life. Danica? Yeah. Yeah. She's just like, like a, you know. I love that Lisa describes her. She's like, Danica wants to work in restaurant. And like, I was like, does she really want to like work in the restaurant industry? Like, okay, Lisa. But then maybe she, like, maybe she was a brothel mistress in a past life. Well, I have a feeling the restaurant management route's really not for her. She just feels too wild. I I don't know. She needs to get married to someone who's going to appreciate her wildness and just like cause a lot of drama and sort of be charming doing it. I also forgot that she uses a breathalyzer to start her car. Like, I feel like we haven't leaned into the messy lives of these newbies enough. Like, why are we not getting every single time we show Danica I want to see her driving somewhere and having to start her car with a breathalyzer. Like, why is that not a thing? Well, it's also like you've been saying on the pod, like, why are we not getting scenes of Kristen and Carter? Yeah, we've never gotten it. And at this point, we should at least have like one that's actually them talking and not just him lurking in a corner somewhere. (laughs) Exactly. Charlie's boobs. We find out her name, Tia and Tamara. The twins. And I just love anyone that's like very open about plastic surgery. I'm 100% on board. So self-possessed. She owns it. She's working her game. She's, yeah. she's making work. And then Lisa comes in. She goes, I don't normally go to my staff's <laughs> birthday parties. And I was like, yes, you do. You're a cast member on Vanderpump Rules. Oh, my God. And I love that. Did Ken stay in the car? Ken stayed in the car. He doesn't normally go to anyone's birthday party. I thought that was so to me what that was was like Lisa it's my birthday normally I like fucking follow you around like the way you want me to supporting you in these goddamn shows tonight I'm staying in the car like that's really what I that's the energy I felt out of that I'll drive you to this thing and then you're gonna get back in the car after 10 minutes and then we're gonna go like have dinner somewhere 
My feeling is he's been over all of this for so long. I actually Why ran wouldn't it. He be? He's like 79 years old. Like he needs, he needs to like rest. He's had enough. He's lived the life. He doesn't need all of this. I almost feel like, you know, cause he's so, he's got such rose colored glasses on when it comes to Lisa. I feel like the only place where he like a crack of like reality of who he actually married might come in is when he sees that she can't let go these shows even after like you know they've done quote unquote done them dirty um so many times yeah but ken's also had like an exciting like i feel like he's had this level of excitement like he met lisa when he was older so like their relationship started when she was young and i think she got to like be a supportive player of his journey and then she got her star moment later in life so now he the roles are probably reverse somewhat but at a certain point you are both have to just be like okay like we've made money we have the nice house our kids are doing well for the most part and like now it's time to like glide into retirement and like not have to worry about this bullshit anymore yeah yeah well i agree that there could be a crack in the veneer (laughs) when it comes to letting go villa rosa um Dana confronts Sheena because apparently Sheena texted Max about being pissed that Dana is going out with Brett. And I just wrote like, so fake. Just so fake. But also like, honestly, I look, I know Sheena's playing her part in all this, but it's like when we're hearing about Sheena's IVF journey, which actually feels really raw and real to me, there's just, and Oh, you know what it was? Okay, this is what left a bad taste in my, my, in my mouth. When Dana and Shana spoke at Sir earlier, and Dana's like, yeah, so how's it going? And, you know, Shana's like, yeah, I'm doing IVF, and this is what I'm doing, and da 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 da, da. And then Dana's like, okay, great. So listen, I just want to tell you, like, I'm going <laughs> on a lunch date with Brett. I was just like, oh, my God. Like, this is so, like, sort of cold and calculating. And so then to see her at the, like, birthday party, kind of, like, poking at her in this way, I just – I'm getting a very bad taste in my mouth of people kind of like going in on Shayna, sort of poking the beast, getting this underground pleasure out of her unhappiness and sort of being insensitive to the fact that she is going through something right now that's clearly like taking its toll on her. Yeah, like Sheena is having a human experience and like that became very real to me when like Lala takes her aside and tries to point out that Sheena is always like having a man that's a best friend. And this is like, that's a very true point to be making because I think that Sheena, something about her is like, she is like a lot of people pleasing stuff. And especially with men, like she is not one to ever be like, fuck you to a guy. And like, shut them down like i she's above being friends with people like max and brett like she's sheena shay she's iconic forever and then like lala's kind of poking at her and then sheena gets really real and she goes i cry every fucking day it's my life and i'm doing this single on my own divorced and i'm doing this for a baby and i was like give sheena the emmy for this like groundbreaking monologue yeah and it was so interesting too because then i was like okay sheena so like I believe what you're saying. And then it's, and I hear her saying, like, I'm holding on to this hope that I'm going to find a guy and we're going to like marry and have the kids. But then I'm like, and isn't it so interesting then that you keep putting your time and attention into guys like Adam, Max, Brett? Like, that's fascinating to me. It's like you're saying you want the family, 
But then you're messing around with these like young 20 something, you know, to use the language of the show, fuck boys. I find that really interesting. And I'm starting to get the sense that Sheena, there's something in her that actually is truly resisting, like finding a guy as you could settle. Cause she should be, you know, I mean, honestly, my sense for Sheena is like, find someone older. Like, you know, like I'm sure there's like some great 45 year old guy would be so into you and could be kind of weird like you, but he was also successful and like da, 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 da. And this is what I was saying earlier when I kind of was feeling into like, why would Sheena actually be kind of undermining herself in this way? I am wondering if there's something happening for her now where it's like, she's kind like she is 34 now she is freezing her eggs and it's like if she's starting to see the end of the road with the show and like if she does actually find a guy she can settle down with and marry it's almost like she's seeing what her life is going to become and realizing that it's 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 not going to be the thing that she thought it was going to be all along and i wonder Mm -hmm. if someone her is resisting that and trying to kind of like retroactively go back and still milk the fame and get the hot young guy. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I think that she's also trying, like she now has her YouTube channel and she's like realizing that this show is never going to do her justice. Cause they really like Sheena becomes is a constant scapegoat where it's like, if everything else isn't like going as we want it to, and we're not getting the drama we deserve, we can always count on Sheena. Like we can shit on Sheena until like we push her over the edge and she'll give us something interesting. But like, I like that Sheena's taking the power back. And I think that she, I think YouTube is like a really good venue for that and like vlogging and like showing us her life and stuff. But I just like, I don't know. Yeah. I hope that Sheena gets what she wants at the end of the day. I mean, I think she's going to have to be willing to surrender a lot of what she's still clinging to. Yeah. Because we've seen her like get, the fairy tale that she thought she wanted and had that fall completely apart with Mike Shea. Well, and that's what's so weird. Cause I'm like, Mike Shea was in no way the same prototype as these other guys she's going for now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, is that because Mike Shea, is it like Stasi where there's like an energetic through line that you could probably find connecting all these guys? Or is it almost like Mike Shea is more in the neighborhood of what her heart would actually want. And now she's kind of like turning her back on that and instead sort of going for these shallow vapid guys. I think so. I feel like Mike Shea might've been like a big heartbreak for her to like have that not work out. Cause I think she was, I mean, we all know that she was with Eddie Cibrian at one point and then Mm -hmm. like, the rumor was that she like had hooked up with John Mayer at one point. And so she was trying, she's been like kind of fucking around with like famousy or attractive, like fuck boy types for a while. But Mike Shea was definitely like, he broke the mold on that. But then I think maybe her hope was that she could groom him into like the kind of man that like she wanted him to be and then but she also loved him and so then that didn't work it was kind of a devastation for her well and also i really wonder how much of a devastation what was that guy's name was it rob that one rob yeah because i feel like she did think she'd kind of found something and she was putting a lot of 
her hopes and dreams on it. And then she was so like skewered and humiliated for that. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it's just between like Mike and Rob, it's like things just keep shutting down inside of her. And she's, I mean, because we see it like, like, like Lala was saying, she doesn't even want to acknowledge her feelings for Brett or Max because she doesn't want to admit that vulnerability. And so maybe it's just sort of like a situation where it's like she's unwilling to risk any more heartbreak. So she keeps kind of like ending up in these dark corners with these really unavailable guys. And meanwhile, yeah, freezing her eggs because it's like she's sort of not willing to open up in the way that she would have to open up in order to actually find someone who will sort of be with her in the long haul. Yeah. And then like the freezing the eggs becomes very like... It becomes almost like um, prophetic for her because she's admitting that, like, I'm not getting anything I want out of life. And so I'm doing this as, like, my backup plan. But, like, I'm also having to admit that, like, it's like a she has to, like, succumb to the reality of her life. So it's also very loaded in that way. Yeah, I mean, my feeling for Shayna, like, as I just sort of quickly drop in in this moment, I see for her, like, an elevated version of Mike Shea. Like, that's kind of what I see, like, kind of like what I was saying before, like, a successful version of him who's maybe a little bit more polished, but someone, like, a little weird. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? A little eccentric, a little, but has, like, a big heart and can kind of, because Shayna's a weird girl. You know what I mean? So someone who can kind of match her weirdness and her eccentricity. Like like two people who would like, you'd sit next to them on a plane and they're laughing really loudly together because they find the same things funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, and then they have like a really vibrant sex life because they're into the same stuff. Like she just needs to find someone who's got that same, just who can kind of match that energy. And I don't think it's going to come from these guys who are like these polished sort of GQ Adam brett or max's for sure you know yeah. how gross was it to watch brett oh and lisa God. flirt stomach <laughs> turning i mean it was stomach turning and i think that's that tells you everything you know as to like why brett is on the show is just because lisa is attracted to him but the fact that lisa see this is another reason why i'm just like people think that lisa is this like voice of wisdom which by the way, I loved like I loved when she had that meeting with Danica and Guillermo. She was like, a piece of advice, just soften it up a bit. And Guillermo was like, oh, such a great piece of life advice. I was just like, well, you know, not really, but okay. Yeah, um, she had another moment like that too in a talking head where she was like, I really think that your parents really <laughs> determine how you react to things. And I was like, God, you don't fucking say, Lisa, your parents like determine how you act. Wow. <laughs> Um, and it's so funny because it's like then you see like her being snowed by Brett and you're just like this is not a woman who's very keyed in to like the subtle nuances of what's going on in the world no Uh, and then I also figured out I think what is weird about Brett is that he has like a very cringe TikToker energy like he seems like there are these guys on TikTok like a whole brand of them that like they do these front-facing videos where they're like hey girl wow, you look amazing. Like, are you on your way to class? Like they role play, they do boyfriend role play with their viewers. And Brett very much feels like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so true. He like, he's just so here's my thing with Brett. So like I did, I've been so intrigued by him because he does feel so disconnected from himself. And so I was just like, who is he? Like if I drop Mm. in. So the image I got for Brett, which was so interesting, I actually saw him like, at Burning Man, like total burner, like in costume, kind of performing, like a fluid, flexible guy, 
who like with a huge spiritual bent, who like has this relationship to darkness and the shadow and can kind of through sexuality and performance help people kind of navigate their own shadows. Like I really felt this sort of like sacred relationship to the shadow. And so it's so interesting. So, I mean, this is what I got. I mean, again, kind of like with Raquel, I was like, is this really true? Because it's so, I think he's so disconnected from himself that I think any picture that comes in is going to feel weird because he doesn't know who he is. But for me, it's like, I feel like if he is this sort of weird, non-mainstream guy at heart, and then it's like he's trying to play the role of like this normal dude bro. And then instead of like having like a sacred relationship to the darkness, he's just this sort of dark, angry guy who's got an ax to grind. And I feel like in a way like that is kind of, to me, it sort of makes sense of like what we're seeing on the show. Just this sort of awkward stomach turning guy who's sort of playing at sexuality in this really cheesy artificial way. Um, that's what I see with him. And it's why it makes me so uncomfortable. I want to see Brett's relationship, sacred relationship with the darkness play out. I like him seeing him at Burning Man now. Cause can't you, can't you kind of see it? Yeah. Like with the like, wings or something like that, like and yeah. a headdress. Yeah. I'm into like in a it. costume, like standing on some sort of like, you know, altar that they made. And he's like doing theatrical performance with his body. Like he kind of looks the part to me of that but i think he won't let himself go anywhere near that i think he got some message that like yeah his sort of weirdness and his darkness wasn't allowed and now he's just pissed so he's just like an angry dark guy rather than like no i've got this kind of interesting darkness to me and he has to package it in a way that like can get clicks and views yeah and it's so disingenuous that it's like icky feeling yeah. Charlie's nip comes out while she's taking a picture with Sheena and Raquel and it just cut to Jax's face like staring. Oh, it yeah. made it look like he was staring at her <laughs> boobs, which might not have been the case. But if so, I was like, this is the genius. These are the genius edits that we need. Like, even if it's not true, please make me believe that Jax is like staring lustfully at Charlie's nipple. Like, I need this to be the reality of the situation. Well, to me, it was like a total Jeffrey Dahmer moment. Like, Mm -hmm. it was like lust mixed with just total, like, I want to kill you for making me feel these feelings. It was such a look of, like, I was horrified by that. And trapped. Like, a true realization of, like, I'm trapped in this chair and I can't say or do anything about my own, like, boner right now. Exactly. And, like, in that, yeah, and that he's sort of peripherally aware of, like, the old ball and chain Britney like, you know, hee-hawing, like, on the side somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone sings Dana happy birthday, and then she and Brett have, like, a completely manufactured, like, cake kiss moment. And I was just like, enough. Just kill me now. And again, like, Charlie's, see, Charlie's high maintenance I kind of like. Like, when she was like, you know, my skincare routine, get, you know, no, don't get it anywhere near me with that cake. Again, it was just sort of another moment for me where I was like, you are the true Lala. Like, you are what Lala wants to be. Like, you are the mm-hmm. true kind of snotty, snobby, I'm too good for this kind of like, that almost reminds me of Cordelia and Buffy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. sort of like a love you know that um, and polished from the get-go like if you take it back to when Lala first came on the scene I mean she was not like she wanted to be at that level but there was always something off like remember her makeup in one of the reunions was like truly (laughs) garish and like psychotic and it's just like 
she was like LARPing as that girl, but not really that girl. And then Charlie's here and she's fully like done and is that girl and is like, yeah. don't touch me with the cake. And I love Sheena being like, if that cake gets anywhere near me, I'm going to fucking lose it. <laughs> and like running away is <laughs> like pure Sheen. No, I mean, I think you're speaking to an important par- point, which is like Lala's playing a part. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's a part for her. And like that is, I always feel like with Lala, there's just so much terror inside of her. She feels like a, like a 12 year old kid who's trying to figure it all out on her own. And mm-hmm. like, that's why she's kind of like, okay, okay. I, alcoholism, like sobriety, 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 my man, my man, my man. Like there's almost this kind of like, there's just this sort of over, it's almost compulsive in how overblown it is. Like she clings to these things to define her. And I think it is because like, there's something that's very uncomfortable in her in her own skin. And so she's playing these parts, sort of trying to find an identity that works. Whereas Charlie, like this is her actual identity. Yeah. I want to just give a shout out to my favorite moment in the episode, which was James Kennedy slinks by the bar and says, happy birthday to Dana, like waving his arms, snapping, and then like tosses his head over his shoulders and just gives like the biggest grin. And I was just like, why was James Kennedy not in this episode more? Yeah. Where, what do you, okay. What do you read? What's your read on James? Cause we didn't really get that cause he wasn't in the episode, but I'd love to know like your thoughts about him. I mean, I'm a James fan. He's the one who got me into the show finally because I would see him in gifts and I was just like, oh, he's so dynamic and kind of interesting. I wanted mm-hmm. to see more of him. So, you know, I mean, what you see is what you get, right? Um, I mean, I think, yeah, what you see is what you get. You know, I mean, I feel like he's kind of, I mean, I, I do think he's got a heart in him. I think he's very young. Um, I think he's figuring it out. Um, and, you know, he's always the one who seems like he, really could go and be successful on his own. Like he seems talented to me. He seems dynamic. Um, So yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't have like, I haven't actually dropped in too deeply into him because I always sort of feel like he sort of wears it all on his sleeve. Yeah. And if you see like, I mean, his, it's very apparent when you see his family and like all those familial relationships, it makes sense why he is the way he is. There's not much mystery there to like figure out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm. We've been talking for a while, so I'm just tired now. Otherwise, I would kind of drop in. I mean, I can. Yeah, I'm just kind of tired. You know, no, actually, don't I am drop in. Into- don't drop. I'm not going to make you drop into James Kennedy. <laughs> I did drop in. <laughs> I can. Oh, I dropped in. If you want to see, if you want to know what I saw when I dropped in, I can tell you. This can be our concluding note. Okay. Yeah. Let's you- conclude on this. I saw him honestly. Like the image I got of him was like him in like total like um what's that called? Not like a leisure suit. Like a smoking robe, like kind of smoking a cigarette, kind of like a Hugh Hefner vibe. Like he feels very um, like Bacchanalian, like life of the party, but not like in a drunk way, like, like life's pleasures kind of way, like hedonistic in a way that feels good. Like he's all about pleasure. He's, I think he's into other people having pleasure. Um, And yeah, there's something mischievous about him. There's something playful about him. He's a smart ass. He's a wise ass. Um, but it's done with playfulness and it's done from the heart. And, um, yeah, he's just, you know, James is about James, you know, and I think he always will be. And I think there's something, I think in its most elevated form, there can be something pleasurable about that, uh, because it kind of gives you permission to feel that same level of pleasure in mischief. And that's kind of what I get off of him. Mm -hmm. Very playful. Playful, mischievous, pleasurable, like, yeah, a little hedonistic. Life's pleasures, yeah. 
Yeah, he's kind of like, I see him as like a fawn. Like, you know, in Fantasia, the little like fawns that are like kind of half baby, half goat trotting around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love, he he brings so much to the show. I mean, when the show ended, I was just like, not enough James, not enough Sandoval. Like if those two aren't in it, I'm kind of like adrift at sea. Yeah, I just was like, this was one of the worst steps of the season. And then realizing there's just more to come. Like, I feel like the halfway see the halfway season trailer kind of showed us a lot that was in this episode. And then I'm just like, God, we're going to slog through another 10 episodes of like Stassi uh, getting married and just these like bullshit storylines. Like it just is feeling sad to me. When I saw the costumes they were in next week, I was just like, Oh God like please like it's not cute anymore like let's retire the costumes like i what i want to get to is jack's jack's marital unhappiness i'm ready for that mm-hmm. i i'm fully predicting jack's is going to melt down by the end of the season i'm ready for jack's meltdown uh i want him to get really shitty and i want the core group to like be reacting to that yeah i'm with you jamie you're a real blessing. I was so glad to like have your reads on this show. And like, thank you for having just a very long and thoughtful conversation with me. Um, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, well, you can definitely find me on Instagram. It's just my name, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. And I do, um, I, I, I open up my stories for quick hit questions. So I'll give like little quick psychic hits to people on my stories. So mm-hmm. come ask me um that's the main place if you want to check out my work my website's hollywoodreadings.com and that's where you can read about like the sessions i do with people i'm on twitter but i'm barely on it i think it's just jamie underscore stein underscore instagram is kind of where i'm most active thank you so much and thank you guys for listening you can follow me at lars marie and you can get weekly bonus episodes and tons more content at patreon.com slash sexy unique podcast and uh, until next time, bye. I know, I know I'm feeling, cause I know, I know I'm feeling, cause I know, I know.